All right, in three, two, one, and we're live. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you were here? How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? What we've got here is failure to communicate. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. I don't call me sir. What's up, everybody? It's Friday night. It's the dad's a drink. You know what? Fuck this mask. You don't need that. We're here for you. You can't catch COVID from us. We're on the internet, but we're live. We've got guys in California on tonight, and we have a guest that we are super excited about. Jay Shear, the writer of Time Slingers, a science fiction uh, book that kind of blew my mind when I read it. Uh, he's got a lot more stuff behind him. So let's go ahead and get right into it and bring him in. Jay? Welcome to the show, man. It is a pleasure to be here. So, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's good to join you guys from a different different area of the country, but it's glad to, glad to join your show. Yeah, we are so excited that you're here. We're on a little bit of a different uh, time zone. You're in California. We're in Texas, but we made it all work. So uh, Time Slingers is the name of the book. It's not the only one you've written, but it's the one that I've read and the one that Jeff has read, and we are super interested in it. So let's just go over a little bit of your history to start it out. Uh, tell us where you kind of picked up writing, why you wanted to write, and where it's taken you in life. Oh, sure. Well, I've been writing for a really long time. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I was interested in writing, and so storytelling has just been a thing for me that has... Um, really helped me understand and interpret the world and be able to, you know, you're thinking through character motivations, you're thinking through plot lines, you're thinking through, it just teaches you a lot of critical thinking skills, at least for me, it has. And uh, so I've been always passionate about storytelling. And in, in about, I think I want to say 2005, we actually is when we started Time Slinger. So this is going way, way back when we very first started it. And the idea was to, you know, people had blogs and people were releasing content via blogs. And I was having a really hard time finishing a book because I was working full time. And I went to my co-writer, Nathan Sheck, who did the illustrations in Time Slingers. And I go, do you want to partner with me to do like a classic newspaper serial where we where we like release a, a, a chapter of the story every week with an illustration? And he was like, yeah, I'm down to do that. And so that's kind of the the start of where time slingers came from and it, it adapted from there, but that's really where it, it started. It was way back in 2005 before smartphones were even around, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it's amazing to see how far we've come in technology just yeah. since then. I mean, if you think about it, when you're saying that smartphones weren't even around <laughs> and now we carry a computer that's stronger than probably anything in our home uh, to control everything. And it actually can control our home from some things. So yeah, well, you know, we have the Apollo program take center stage at a, at a point in this book, in a point in Time Slingers. And they say that the, the, like the original iPhone is more powerful than all the tech that was on the, 
uh, rockets we were shooting into space in the 60s. <laughs> so it's just it's just insane that what we have available to us today. That, and that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. So, so Jay, um, we're, I'm happy to have we're happy to have you on. Um, it's a pleasure. But can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into uh, being an author and, and writing cool stories? Yeah, I mean, so I actually had a, had a like I said, a sort of a passion for it ever since I was a kid. Um, and my mom had a really bad cancer scare when she was uh, 39. And I was about 13 or so, uh, 12, 13, something like that. And at around that time, I again, I would like escape to all of these, all of my favorite stories. I have a you can't see them here because they're on other walls, but I have these Indiana Jones posters on the walls. So oh, yeah, huge Indiana Jones fan, love Indiana Me Jones. Too. Yeah, huge Star Wars fan. You can see the Star Wars stuff. Um, Dustin and I were talking about Star Wars the other day, and uh, and that really gave me a passion for telling stories because I could I could escape to the stories and not have to deal with the fact that my mom had stage three uh, aggressive breast cancer. Um, but also it helped me to connect with other people. It helped me to focus my thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Went to college for uh, marketing, actually. But I went strategically because I said, I want to learn marketing because I'll probably have to get a job doing marketing while I try yeah. and engage my mar my writing career but marketing will help me market the stories that I'd like to sell one day. And so that was kind of what started the whole thing. And uh, I met Nathan Sheck at my, uh, at my college. Uh, Nathan Sheck's my co-writer. He's like a super behind the scenes person. He's super introverted. He's like, you do every conversational thing there is. I'm going to stay back and uh, just, you know, I'm going to draw and, and, and give comments and the stories and stuff. So yeah, it's been a lifelong journey. I've, I've written, um short films i've placed in i actually placed in the top 10 in some um three 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 of my short film scripts have been in the top 10 in the rite of passage screenplay competition and um i i, I play in every medium we've got a full cast audio book coming out we have you know time slingers i'm constantly trying to innovate with the writing and try and change the way that maybe you've seen the story told before uh and just play with it that way it's just so what, what uh, college did you attend I went to Azusa Pacific University out here in uh, Southern California. Nice, just small, just a small Christian school out here. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I can I understand. I went to a little little Baptist school, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is more of a fan of Northern California. Um, he's a member of probably seventeen wine clubs because of a vacation that he took. There. Oh, that's awesome. You know, yeah. you can always come down to, uh, if you're ever interested, you can come down to Southern California because we have uh, the Temecula Valley now has a bunch of wineries down in Temecula that are really nice. So come out and stay down here sometime if you. We if have you some great uh, microbreweries and, and beer Ooh. places down there too. Absolutely. Uh, we, yeah. we did San Diego on July 4th, probably two or three years ago. Oh, nice. And then last year, from last October for my birthday, we uh, went up to... Uh, Northern California, went to the Sonoma County and did that. But cool. trying to think of the little little town we stayed in. Uh, anyway, it was about 75 miles north of San Francisco, but it was an awesome time. I, I'm a cool. huge fan of of uh, Northern California and Southern California, for that matter. Can't go Southern wrong. California, there's just too many people. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. There's too many people. We got too many people out here. Sure. So let's let's talk about the book for a minute. Sure. So 
what I want you to do, because I, I don't want to give away stuff that you don't want necessarily given away. So um, what I want you to do is first do a background on the book, like mm. uh, what the story is about, and then how you kind of came up with that. And what was really interesting to me when you and I talked was I asked you if you were into conspiracies because I got a very <laughs> big conspiracy vibe off right, of this right. book. And you said, no, not not really into conspiracies, but, you know, so let, let's start with how you came up with an idea for this book. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, once we got the formatting down, I talked about the formatting being in regards to like a classic newspaper serial where we have these uh, pretty quick chapters with illustrations. Um, then about that time, smartphones had come out. And so then we were like, how do we even make these chapters even shorter? Because if you're reading it on a device, like no one's going to want to read this long thing on a device. Like, let's let's try and make the chapters even shorter. And so then we started th thinking like, well, how are we going to shape this story? What's it about? Why is it about time travel? We both, both Nathan and I love time travel. Um, but time travel is a tough genre to write in because it's so complex. You actually have to sit down and, and make a list of rules about what can happen with your time travel and what can't happen with your time travel uh, because it can get out of control really, really fast. So we knew we wanted to do time travel because we thought it would be fun. And I uh, really, I have a big uh, interest in history. And part of what I wanted to explore at this point in time was the fact that we were seeing, this is back, uh, and, I, and I'm not a super political person, just FYI. Um, but I'm very interested in the way that politics shapes how we behave, how, how society and culture behave. And so I was kind of um, looking at it from the perspective of there was talk of this is back going back into the Obama administration. Even there was talk of the government getting bigger and bigger and bigger and, we, and government was going to take over health care and government was going to take over this and take over that. And the concept of having this like global government that was uh, trying to do the best for the populace at large, but by definition would be taking away from people's freedoms. And I thought to myself, like, what an interesting idea to take something like, what did, the, what did the American revolutionaries look like to England at the time mm -hmm. that we wanted to declare independence, right? Well, we looked like we probably looked like terrorists in a lot of ways, right? Like, and then what does that look like? Like, we if we look like terrorists, what was acceptable, what was not acceptable in our battle against an oppressive regime? And yet, the oppressive regime has reasons for doing what it's doing too, right? It's trying to protect people. This is, you know, this is uh, 2005 is only four years after 9/11, um, and so it was this idea of saying. What how if people want their freedoms, but the the global government wants to protect what it's trying to accomplish and keep everybody safe? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that you had mentioned to me uh, when we talked the other day was that you said I, one of your favorite characters is somebody who's one of my favorite characters who you're like, is he on the right side? Is he doing the right things? But I kind of like what he's doing and I kind of like how he's doing it. And I kind of like his perspective. And that's kind of what how I feel about a lot of storytelling that's really good is that you don't know who the good guys and the bad guys are because the good guys and the bad guys are people and people are sort of good and people are sort of bad and we got to figure out how to deal with that. So that's where a lot of the setup for the story takes place. And so you've got this global government in the union who has a secret force of uh, what we call the subdivision 
and the kind of the catchy name for that they call each other are time slingers and they travel back and forth through time to try and protect the timeline but then you have another group of of uh freedom fighters if you will who can could be labeled as terrorists from time to time and they are trying to say look this global government is too oppressive it's too controlling it it's not about freedom and they're trying to fight back against the bigger regime by changing history so that the current present will change around it as well. So that's kind of where the, the setup for the story comes from. And, and, and that's interesting because we talked about it the other night where I was telling you who my favorite characters were and stuff. Yeah. In this story, it's hard to tell who's good and who's bad on right. both sides. And there's characters on both sides that play both sides, that, that they are... I don't even know if I would say they're bad people. They might right. make bad decisions, but right. everyone, and, and it's kind of telling, everyone in the story thinks they're doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. There's, I, no, a- there's no where we're trying to cause harm. Everyone in their minds in this story think that they're doing the right thing. Right. Yeah, one of the rules that we tend to adhere by um, is that when I say we, I mean Nathan and I, is that the hero or the, the villain is awful, often the hero of their own story, right? Like, the, like you, don't, you don't ever find anybody that's like, I'm out to, you, you ever, every once in a while you see somebody who says, I'm out to just commit chaos. But even, even take somebody like, a, like the Joker in, against Batman, right? Like that is a chaotic, horrible person. But in the Joker's own mind, he's trying to prove a point. He's trying to prove that Batman's quest for order is is a quest that he shouldn't even be on and he, and he should relax about it because it's never going to occur. So they so the villain oftentimes in their own minds they think of themselves as heroes. And the truth is and we see this like today we're seeing this more than ever because we've gotten so into identity politics that it's like I have to create villains of other people almost always. Like 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 we're always just trying in the in the in the whether it's in the media or whether it's in the stories we tell each other we're always trying to create heroes and villains. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is every human being alive is part villain, part hero. Um, yeah. Nobody's perfect. And so we try and include that kind of aspects of into our story. Yeah, very, very well put. It's, it's, you, you wrote this, like you said, it started a long time ago in uh, 2005 or, and it's funny how you can, we can all definitely relate to how our current culture and society is and um, it's very interesting how um, a lot of people see themselves as the heroes and the other people are the villains and then vice versa. So it's very interesting how it's come full circle in our current society and uh, how it relates to everything going on in the world. It's, it really is. Yeah, it's pretty spooky, actually, because obviously there's a, there's a couple chapters that take place in Russia in 2019. Wow. And of course, of course, I'm going, I'm going back into the past going... Russia wasn't really on the highlight reel of of places we were worried about back in back when we were writing this, you know. Um, and and actually, I included Russia primarily because I thought that it was a really interesting sort of you know. There's there's a large part of this book that has some pulp quality to it. When I talk about pulp, I'm just talking about like kind of adventure stories from the from the 40s and 50s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And I just thought that Russia seemed like a cool like pulp like area to go explore kind of like 
And uh, and we included stuff in there that you know we included drones in that in 2019 we didn't know I didn't know we were going to have drones. It, right. You just you just imagine these things and you hope that it works out and then all of a sudden it it you know it becomes something and you go oh wow that was kind of weird how that was but yeah you're absolutely right like it's it's interesting to see how I think I I didn't even realize it at the time but I was recognizing that tribalism the fact that we want to as humans again villainize other tribes and say that our tribe is the hero tribe and your tribe is the villain tribe. And I was playing with that all the way back then because I could see the seeds of it start. And it seems like social media has just taken us further down that path. So that's one of the consistent themes that I find myself going back to is this idea that, you know, virtue signaling and, um, and, you know, vilifying other people it's like yeah, we're all we're all not good i mean we all try to do good things but we all still do bad things so i don't know man it's more complex than that absolutely well and i you know you bring up the russia thing i don't really even think in that section of the book that you were really kind of spotlighting russia you no. were spotlighting a subculture in russia Correct. but not really russia as a whole um and when you look at it and you you see, like you said, what's going on in in Russia now. Um, the kind of things that you write about in this book, jumping back and forth in time, um, present huge problems. But it also makes you think, like, if these things didn't happen, how would the world be different? Because you yeah. you you talk about some very um, historic points, some ones that are kind of written in you know, the, the history books and will never be erased from there. What if it happened just a fraction different or a, right. a half a second different? And and I'm talking about like when you were talking about all the stuff in Dallas that's going on, um, if they're one minute off, because the timeline is really strong in that part of the story. If they're one minute off, how does the world change? Right, exactly. Yeah, and that, and that was, I mean, any, I think anytime you're dealing with time travel, and again, you, you're always setting up these rules, right? You're always setting up these rules about how, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, um, Stephen King wrote a book about the Kennedy assassination called, um, no, what is it, November? It's the day. 1963, day. I think. Yeah, exactly. 22nd, was it? November 22nd, I think, 1963? I don't know. Uh, if I'm right I, about that. I think that's, yeah, I, I've seen the book, and there's actually uh, a... Um, a show on Hulu that yes, that they uh, made a movie out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. Um, so I, I, as I was writing this, I actually had read that as well, uh, which it seems like the JFK assassination is always occurring in time travel um, novels, and I'm not sure why that is. But it was interesting because his one of his central premises of his book was uh, history is very difficult to change because it's on a trajectory. And um, and we incorporated some of that and even in our thinking of, of like, what would you have to do if you really wanted to make a major change in history? What would you would it have to be consistent? Would you have to do it over time? What if you tried to make so? So in this story, the time slingers are trying to make one change. They realize that by doing what they do, the change doesn't happen the way they want it to. And they have to go back and make two more changes before it really turns the way they want it to turn. And so time is time is fun to play with that way because I think all of us have this, the reason why time travel is so appealing to us 
is because we realize that there are these significant things that happen both in our own lives and in the actual historical record. And it's this idea of saying like, well, if I could go back and change something, could I make my life better? And I think we all have this inherent desire to want to go back and make life better. Um, and, and even if it's just, even if it's just mistakes that we've made along the way that we're like, man, I really wish I could have done that differently. Cause if I had done that differently, I might've been done this or I might've done that. And so we get to explore that through this process of time travel. And sometimes when you make a change, it doesn't turn the way you want it to turn and you got to go back, back and make a couple more changes. So we're definitely playing with that with both, uh, Kennedy and the space program and all that kind of stuff as it shows up in the, in the book. And you guys were right about Stephen King's novel. It's eleven twenty two sixty three. So you guys hit it. Yeah, on that the was uh, John from the basement surge that put that up there for us. Um, here's the thing: you talk about everyone inherently maybe wants to go back and change things uh, yeah. about what happened to it. Maybe it's a small thing, whatever. Now, I want to preface this by saying I don't want philosophical Jeff to come out. Okay. <laughs> Really? <laughs> well, I don't want philosophical, Jeff, but when you look at that, and even if it's a small thing, what if you changed it and you still don't get the outcome or you didn't learn from it or it didn't make you the person you are? And I think that's the big thing with time travel to everybody. Yeah. You know, it's the, the back to the future thing. You go back uh, in time and you date your mom. I mean, <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Marty, I mean, Marty McFly. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and 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 that's where you end up. And I think it. I think everyone thinks about it and wants to do it. I think everyone would yeah. like to see history unfold. But when you get a little deeper, and I'll let ph philosophical Jeff come out in a minute. Uh, <laughs> what if you do take part in those things, and it changes you at a base level? Oh yeah. When when you're actually there and you see those things, what if it changes you as a person? Yeah, yeah. Well, also too, what's your intent on on? You know, if it's a change some event for this, maybe your intentions are way more personal and not for a different change in outcome. Mm -hmm. So you have to take the personal part out of it. And uh, I guess you would want to do what's best for society or for, for the greater good, not just what you want to change about your future. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be a really difficult position because it's in our human nature to want to change stuff for ourselves. Yeah. So that's a philosophical Jeff coming out. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, I think that those are really good points. I mean, you're always trying to figure out too, like how to put your characters in a position where you're challenging them to have to want to behave differently than they might want to actually behave. And that's why we put in there's a character, there's a character in our book, I call him one of the main characters, there's Marcus Klein, who's sort of the freedom fighter, if you will. And then there's Hector Salazar, who works for the global union government um, for their time slinger crew. And he has this crisis of faith because he, he is pitted up against his responsibility to his country, in this case, the globe and, and his family. And, and what, what do I do? Do I, do I go towards my family or do I go towards my, my, this global government that I work for and that I have responsibilities toward? And I think when you put people in those scenarios, then time travel becomes this thing where we're, where you force them into these pressure zones where they go, yeah, I mean, at what point in time does this become so urgent to me that I have to change history to make this a different um, outcome? And I think that that's just a really fascinating question to explore. And we, and of course, 
I'm getting pretty philosophical here with the book, but it's it's really an adventure book. I mean, it's like it moves really fast and we have lots of different devices and things that we include that weaponry that we include that is just really supposed to be really fun. A lot of action sequences and stuff. So I'm I'm being philosophical, Jay, on my standpoint, but but a lot of this is just pure entertainment, too, you know, so. Absolutely. So. Let's talk, uh, now that we've talked about the book, I don't really want to give any more away. We'll kind of go into where they can get it at the end. Let's sure. talk about your other book. Yes. yes. Uh, and then not only your other book, but what is getting, it's pretty exciting, what's getting ready to happen with that book. Yeah. And and if you don't mind before that, can I tell a quick story about the, the writing process behind Times? You can talk about whatever you want on this okay. show. I thought that people, I thought that people might enjoy this because um, the very, the very intro uh, here's a fun fact too. We've been talking about the JFK section of the book, and the JFK section of the book used to be the very first chapter of the book. And you'll notice now that we actually have a very different intro to the book itself. And that was because uh, my wife is from New Mexico. Special thanks, by the way, to my wife because she made my drink tonight. So, so special thanks to her. <laughs> what is that, that, by the way? This is a sort of a, a takeoff on a margarita called the Paloma. And so it's got like a little bit of a grapefruit flavor to it. So it's, we have made we them made on the show with our bar. Yeah. Have you? Have you? Yeah. Wow. Yes. Excellent. They're very he's good. A, he's I, a huge fan of them. We've made them on the show before. Oh, that's so. awesome. That's really cool. Um, so she's from, she, my wife's from New Mexico. And uh, we went back to visit her family on a trip. And her dad used to be part of uh, law enforcement in Albuquerque. And his friends used to run the police department and now actually I, I don't know if he still does but he used to run the security for um albuquerque airport and we're over at his house and his son is a detective for the was a detective for the albuquerque police department and we're just there sort of on a trip just seeing people that she used to know just hanging out and we're hanging out with the detective and the detective says to us hey i've got a buddy up in los alamos who's been wanting to give me a tour of Los Alamos National Laboratories, which is not really open to the public, but he, you know, he, he runs security there. He does a lot of cool stuff. He's been telling me about all the stuff they've got going on up there. Do you guys want to go on the tour? And so of course I'm like, yeah, I want to go on the behind the scenes secret tour of Los Alamos. And so the first chapter of our book is based, uh, based partially on my experience there because we go up to Los Alamos, we drive up to Los Alamos, gorgeous area up there. They have a bunch of mesas. And so you're driving through the desert and you see these mesas and you drive up to the mesas. And we get there, we, we, he has to take our phones from us. And of course, this is back when we didn't have smartphones, but we're still not allowed to take any pictures or anything like that. I had a notebook with me. We get into his SUV and he drives us around Los Alamos, which is where the birthplace of the Manhattan Project, where the United States, you know, created uh, nuclear weaponry um, and really changed history from that perspective. And uh, we're driving around in his SUV, he's showing us the concrete enclosure where there was a there was a scientist working with. He was building um, these, putting these cubes of uranium uh, together to create like this bigger uranium piece that he was going to work with. And he dropped one of the cubes. It instantly, it sets off a chain reaction. Um, and that, that whole place is just boarded up. We had to wear little, little radiation detectors just in case we got to an area that was too high in radiation. 
Um, he takes us past the actual location that you see in the book, which is the theoretical sciences building, where he literally says like some of the smartest people in the entire world are in those buildings thinking about things like how would we do time travel if we were going to do time travel, right? Um, when there is new weaponry that comes out that the United States has created, it oftentimes comes from people thinking in those rooms about what mm -hmm. this is theoretical sciences. We don't know what we're doing. We're just putting stuff out there to see what happens. And um, he even told me a story. This is a quick aside. He goes, the security team, it's, it's, it's Christmas Eve. They're all sitting in, it's snowing outside. They're in a, it's been a fairly remote place. Although there's quite, there's a little community built up around there and it's, real late at night, Christmas Eve, these guys are just sitting around drinking, um, off duty. Somebody comes in banging on the door, banging on the door. They're like, uh, what in the world is going on? They open the door. It's this scientist. He's in his pajamas and he goes, I just unlocked a formula that I have to write down before I forget it. And I'm <laughs> locked out of my office. And you guys need to let me in right away. And so just crazy stuff happening over at Los Alamos. Um, last story I'll tell about that because it it plays a role in the in the book as well is that in Los Alamos, the United States stores a third of its plutonium, plutonium, which is used to make nuclear weaponry. Uranium, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uranium can be used to make nuclear weaponry, but is largely used in like nuclear plants and things like that. But plutonium's like a full-on, like that's what you use for bombs. And they store a third of it over in Los Alamos. And so he drove us up this, he drove us up to this hill and goes, that's the building right there. It's somewhere in there. I can't obviously tell you where it is, but it's in there. Chain link around it. There's a, at the end of the chain link, there's a bear cat sitting there, which, you know, Dustin, you probably know what a bear cat is. I didn't know what a bear cat was. It's sort of like, it sort of looks like a Humvee with like a missile launcher on top of it. Um, and they have all this, they have all this uh, lasers to make sure that if, they, if somebody's getting into the area, they know somebody's getting into the area. So really pretty wild. And so that's why we rewrote the first chapter of the book. Cause I had that experience and I went, I got to put this in a, in a book somehow. Um, and then of course the, the, I mentioned the Emerald building. There's a big glass building over there. When I say glass, it's just the exterior of its glass. And then I, I say in the book that they're pumping classical music through the sound speakers. And that's, we, they, they play classical music really loud in that building because if some foreign government or some foreign agent was to try and hear the conversations that are going on inside that building, we mm. don't want them to hear it. And so the classical music, actually, they, that's all they would hear if they're pointing a sound device at that building. So just fascinating stuff, obviously. And I'm like, I got to put this in the book. So that's just my story about how that influenced the actual story of Time Singers, which is pretty fun. So have you seen you seen the movie in the Interstellar, haven't you? I or have, yeah. You? Yep, I have. Seen I could see, you know, there's some. I can see some some uh, similarities in some of that. Yeah. And uh, I think that's super interesting. And have you seen the show Devs by chance? No, I've been a couple people have recommended that to me, but I have not been able to watch, watch that. Watch it. it. It starts slow, but it has mm. some connection to what you do, and it's really oh, fascinating. Cool. And I think it comes on. Was it on? It's on Hulu. Hulu is it on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just trying to think of what network it originally. Okay, uh, uh, I think it was by uh, the Science Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, it's it's a good, it's a good watch. I think you cool. would enjoy that. Yeah. 
That sounds awesome. I'd love to. I'd love to see that. So, the last question about this: Do you do yeah. you believe time travel exists? You've been to Los Alamos. You've written a book about it. Do you believe that it exists? So, I don't know if it will ever exist. And here's here's when you get in deep into time theory. Time theory is a fascinating thing and it is well worth your time to go and listen to some of the people who are thinking about how time works. Because technically speaking, our concept of time is largely based off the expansion of the universe. So one of the ways that you can actually physically time travel in the real world, if you want to say this is a form of time travel you could, is that... Um, if you even travel into space, you will be like a, a, a few seconds different in terms of your experience of time versus our experience of time here. Um, and so, so our, our concept of time is based largely on the expansion of the universe. In fact, there's some time theorists who think that if the universe were uh, more like an accordion in, in terms of it being able to expand and contract, that time we would view time very differently than we view it now because that's actually a retraction of time as opposed to an expansion of time. And there's this actual theory that you know, we experience, at least my consciousness experience time as Jay Shear is currently talking to the dads that drink right now. And I'm in this moment and yesterday was a different time and yesterday is the past and tomorrow will be the future. But technically speaking, it's all unraveling it at once is what they will tell you. They will tell you that, yeah, you're experiencing it in in the moment but technically it's all it's already all occurred in such a way and that's sort of this mind-blowing thing that it's hard to wrap your head around but what it means for time travel in my mind is that then you have to come up with these ways in which you are if you're going to go back into time how would that actually work how would your consciousness work in that context so one of the things that we you have to come up with with your rules of time travel is if somebody goes back into the past does their soul go with them does their is it just molecules do humans have a soul like these are the kinds of things you have to ask yourself and so as somebody who does believe that humans do have souls and that does think that it would be you in order to fold time on itself like a wormhole type of a situation um, or to, you know, whatever it is, a faster than light drive that that's a different kind of time travel that maybe we will do that someday. But, you know, some of these types of things of going back into the past, I just don't know that it's possible because I don't know that the world is intended, the universe is intended to function in that way. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, who, who knows? But I'm going to I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say as a time travel writer whose mind is completely blown by this. I, I'm gonna say I don't know if it's possible. What do you think? What is your what is your opinion? Well, I think I just passed out for a minute when you started <laughs> talking about it. Right. I know it's a little bit over the top. You know, I, you know what I think the closest thing to time travel could be is like a deja vu mm. that we that conceptually we could go, wait a second. Did I just go blank for a while? And or how does deja vu work? I think that's the only thing I can equate to what time travel might be like. And you don't even, you know. And that could just be your brain takes a split second break yeah. and uh, you tune out and then you're back in. So uh, I, I don't think time travel exists. Um, I'm not smart enough to realize anything you just said about it. But, uh, 
Yeah, um, it got way deeper than I thought it was going. You know, you know I have read stuff like that, wormholes in space. I love space. I, I love outer space. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, and uh, I, I just have a hard time around the physics and uh, how it all works. So I would say no. I don't believe in time travel. Yeah, yeah. There's another good show that I would recommend to you guys, but only if you're willing to either read subtitles uh, or deal with the dubbing issue because you'd have to either have it dubbed into english but it's a german show it's on netflix it's called dark have you guys heard of dark i, I, heard knew, of you were, I knew you I were gonna play it that terrific uh, yeah. it's terrific but man it is it is a trip <laughs> it is a trip and a half and it's and it's very very convoluted and if you watch that show uh just the way that your brain will hurt after watching that show is like i don't know if time travel is a thing i don't know if it'll happen but it is fun to think about that's for sure I just want to point out to the people that are watching, if you guys have any questions, Jay, you said you're more than happy to answer them if, if they want to absolutely, put them up yeah. on the... Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. let's, uh, let's move on to your, your second book. Um, yeah. And, and the exciting stuff, cause it, th this one's going to kind of take a different, a different route. Now, of course, time slingers, uh, it came in paperback form, hardback form, mm -hmm. uh, audio book form, but this one is going to take a little different approach. So first off, let's talk about the book, talk about um, what it's about, the basis, all that kind of stuff, and then what you're actually going to do with that book. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for asking. Um, and by the way, uh, I'm going to talk about Death of a Bounty Hunter. Death of a Bounty Hunter is the poster here behind me on the wall. Um, and then also with Time Slingers, both of these right now, you can get on the Kindle for only 99 cents. So oh, wow. um, it's a great deal right now. We actually put out Death of a Bounty Hunter early on Kindle because of everybody having to stay at home orders. You know, we were like, mm -hmm. you know, it's not completely where it's not completely done, meaning meaning the story is complete, but we have a whole round of edits to kind of just finish up the little things here and there. And we said, but you, let's go ahead and release it early because we want to get it out to people so that they can um, in their quarantine be able to have some more entertainment. So yeah, you can go check them out on Amazon right now. Um, but so Death of a Bounty Hunter, Time Slingers was, I, I've been talking about Time Slingers as, as if it's this deep uh, introspective thing. And that's just because that's kind of who I am. I just kind of like to think that way. But Time Slingers was always meant to be just an escapist, adventure, fun, like, you know, something that you could have a fun summer read at the beach or something, right? Um, and so it is deep, but it isn't, it isn't supposed to be overwhelmingly deep. With Death of a Bounty Hunter, we actually set out, it is a, it is a supernatural steampunk Western. And I had mentioned it to you guys because when you invited me on the show to talk about Time Slingers, I had just listened to your Paranormal episode. <laughs> and I thought like, oh, well, this might be a really good story to introduce to people who are more into the paranormal because it takes place on uh, another world that is a, is a Wild West steampunk world. And it is essentially about the concept of guilt and shame and the need for forgiveness and redemption. And the fact that we just want to run, a lot of times we want to run from the thing that we've done that we need forgiveness for. Um, and yet the thing that truly would change us is reconciliation and forgiveness and redemption. And, to, and, this, and this concept of saying, you know, it, it's it's again, it's one of these things where it's almost more Tarantino esque in the way that we <laughs> the way that we write it, because there's there's guys with Gatling guns for arms, and there's a lot of action and a lot of violence. This is you know, Time Slingers is very 
I would call it PG. Um, this is a hard PG 13. Like it's, it's like almost approaching probably R rating for this, for this book. Um, but it is, it's really about that. It's about a bounty hunter who's working with a sheriff and the sheriff, uh, is on a quest to achieve an item of power. And in order to achieve that item of power, he needs to do some pretty despicable things. And the bounty hunter that's going along with him to help him kind of starts to realize that that's the case. And then how that unfolds and how it unfolds in the life of a family that it's affecting as well. Um, and this is all the, about why, why some people will go to the nth degree to get power, but how ultimately like we really do need redemption with people. And so that's what the kind of the, the wrapping is. Um, the reason I had mentioned it to you because uh, I had got into podcasting back in 2016, which is when we did Star Wars Rivals, which is our Star Wars fan film that we put out on YouTube. And I wanted to, I was like, I was looking at our um, Death of a Bounty Hunter storyline and I was thinking like, wow, I'd really like to do this like as a film. Like it makes a lot of sense to do this as a film. It's very, um, it'd be very interesting to explore that concept of it. And having just done the short film that we had, that I co-wrote and produced, um, I thought, you know what? We've got all this audio equipment that we've set up. We've got this, the, the studio that we have. Uh, we actually uh, do have a studio that we, that it's part of a co-working space that we operate. Um, and I thought it'd be really cool to bring in a bunch of our actor friends um, here in LA and have them do recordings of all the characters in the book and do a full cast audiobook of this. And so we specifically wrote this story. It exists as a novel and it will be something just like the Time Slingers. It's in a hard copy. It exists right now on Kindle. Um, it will be those things, but it will also be a full cast audiobook. So we have uh, by the end of by the end of it, we'll have 10 performers voicing 13 different characters. Um, it's in post-production right now. Uh, it was a joy to create because as I got to, you know, I write these characters and then to watch someone go through the process of bringing that character to life. And I had actors that were in the room who were literally starting to cry at some of the scenes and then look up at me and go afterwards after we say cut and look up at me and go like, wow, that was really intense. Like uh, that was really, really fun to read. Obviously not not fun, but like that was really impactful for me to be able to read that. And so that was really rewarding for me as a writer to sit there and, and have make an impact emotionally on the people who are helping me tell the story, which is really, really cool. So, um, yeah, Death of a Bounty Hunter, it's uh, 99 cents on Kindle right now. And then pretty soon we'll have a full cast audiobook of it. So really nice. Forward to that. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool. That's really neat. Um, and I'm happy for you. That's that's, I think, a, a big accomplishment. And uh, so so I would like to ask you is. Uh, you know, compared to 20 years ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, yeah. how has the internet in in books changed uh, than you know versus hard hardbacks or soft you know soft copies yeah. or go buy it? I mean, you have to really give it thought, and um, it's changed dramatically. I'm sure over the time you've been doing it. Oh yeah, changed. It's changed almost astronomically. I, so I was I was born in eighty one, so I'll be forty next year, and I am a part of the analog generation that was had an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. 
Right. Um, and and it's been a trip. I mean, like when we were writing Time Slingers, like literally there was no such thing as a smartphone. And the smartphones came out as we were in the process of writing Time Slingers. Um, and then that turned into an audio revolution that turned into YouTube coming out, social media coming out. So the two biggest aspects that I think have affected people is that it has made content production easier because it used to be, you know, when I used to talk to my college professors, it used to be like, well, where do I find a publisher to go and publish my book? Um, where today there's, n there's no publisher that's ever touched Time Slingers. This is hundred percent right. created by us. Like we went from, from soup to nuts on this thing. Right. Um, and and that has changed drastically. But what it's but what it has changed as well is that you don't have if you sell to a production company, of course, a publisher or like if you sell your film, the film script to a big production company, then they'll just pay you for it. And then they'll go take that and they'll go make whatever film or whatever book they're going to make. But these days, because you have the power to do it yourself, you're investing a lot more of your own time, energy, money into them originally. And then you're trying to find an audience. And the other thing that's shifted is that there's so much content. I mean, we've been talking about like how many of the things that we've already mentioned is like, have you seen this? Well, I haven't seen that yet, but I know it's out there. I mean, like there's right. so many things. And so as an author, as a creator, as a producer, a small producer, you're having to, to figure out how do I find an audience for these things? Mm -hmm. How do I go about the process of, um, of putting my stuff out there? And and it's very very it's very challenging because not only do you have to find an audience, but along the way as you try to find your audience, we had a comment on our Facebook, on our Facebook uh, post today, um, where someone saw one of our ads and it, I guess had bought the book and it was like worst book ever. <laughs> I was like, you know, you so you 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 put all of your your creativity and your effort. Yeah, we hear that a lot about our show. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is, right? It's like you're trying to find an audience and you realize that the the audience is not not everyone is in your audience and it right. used to be that, that that there was a protective layer because you had a publisher who was right. like who care who cares they bought the book right but now you're the publisher and you're the one that's you're the one that's putting your heart and soul into these things and so that's different too i think is that there's no there's no protective layer between the creators and what the, and the stuff that they're putting out there so you got to have you got to have a thick skin and be able to say like, yeah. okay, well, that they didn't like it, and that's fine, you know. So, so that's some of the changes that we've seen for sure. And I, you know, I, I can relate to that because I mean, you have quote unquote the haters out there that <laughs> right. that we're only going to comment to bring somebody down or to just spew some venom on people that you know that's just who they are. That's the you know maybe get off on that. Right. So you, you have to take it with a grain of salt because. Um, People are down or ugly sometimes, or someone's envious and uh, wants to uh, do that to you. So, uh, I mean, people tell me all the time I'm super handsome, and one person said I was ugly. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. What do you do? What do you know. do with that? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's wild. Know it's wild. People are wild. Do you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sorry, it's okay. It was me that actually said he wasn't ugly. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, it was a long day, and you know, things happen. Things happen. You say yep. things you regret. That's right. That's You're right. a hater. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, we, and we completely understand that, and, you know, and talking about the show and stuff, we kind of put our heart and soul into it and we're small. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people don't, um, a lot of people don't pay attention to you when you're small. Um, they think because you're small, there's no production value to it. There's no, uh, storyline behind it, things like that. So we really, um, we understand where you're coming from, but what we think is amazing. And we agree with you is that, you know, 10 years ago, you couldn't do this. No. 15 no. years ago, you couldn't no. do this. I mean, we're just a bunch of idiots sitting in our houses drinking and talking to people <laughs> and, right. and hearing their stories. You couldn't do this. And, right. and it's, it's absolutely amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and it's really, it's really fun ahead. to be able to have that kind of, like this kind of technology. I mean, the fact that we can, I, I can be, you know, halfway across the country and be able to chat with you guys. Like we're all in the same room. is just, cool you know yeah it is cool and you know what's crazy too is during this pandemic stuff um all these big productions and you know jimmy fallon and howard stern they're they're on the same platform we're doing right now that's all they're doing that's all they're able to do and it it first of all it's i think podcasting's got so easy and, and there's a lot of just people releasing content that is just to put something out there mm-hmm. and uh you know, sometimes it's not a very good production a level. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and that, you, you know, and then I think that, I think the, the overflow of podcasting hurts legitimate podcasters because somebody might say, Oh, that, look at that. Look at those people, whatever. I'm not going to tune in all these podcasts. So I think because there's also bad content out there, it, it does hurt the little guy trying to, make a name and, and rise above and, and uh, do things that have quality guests on like you, Jay. Yeah. And um, uh, I think the challenge is getting the viewers, getting the initial views, and then those get people passing it on and you're yes. constantly having to promote yourself, which is kind of weird, but uh, <laughs> right. it is what it is, right? Like uh, yeah. that's what we're trying to do. And also this, this isn't our full-time jobs. We, we both have full-time jobs, but we're more passionate about this than, than a lot of things. So yeah. um, it is a, it is a weird funky place, but you got to push on press on. Cause you know, uh, Rome didn't get built in a, in a day. So. Exactly. Well, exactly. You, you know, the advice I always give people too, is if you're creating something, double down on the people who are, who love what you do, just sure. double down on those people, you know? You know, and, and, and that's the whole thing. We have a couple guys watching right now that, that have their own podcasts. And, and I think they'll agree that they'll agree one with you, Jeff, that, that, that shitty content out there hurts all of us that are really trying to make good content. Now I'm not saying I'm not by any means trying to say that our content is good or anything. Cause I don't want to, but I think that there are certain uh, podcasts and stuff that are small that really strive to kind of be that big name. And you watch things like Jeff said, like Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel, and the production quality is really bad. I mean, I think that a lot of podcasters put more into their live shows than those guys that have millions of dollars back and behind them put into theirs. But I think it also, you know, I'll agree with you one more time, Jeff, that it comes from a place of love because Mm. they're doing it as a job. This isn't making any money for us. So we're, we're doing it out of a pure love and trying to get uh, these stories out there. Not making money yet. 
we'll send our Venmo account out for everyone. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> so in, in speaking about that though, uh, you know, with people that are watching Jay, um, yeah. Can you kind of go into, because you and I kind of talked about it the other day, where people are kind of just scared to take that initial leap. Oh, yeah. They're like, people are going to hate on me. People are going to do this. I'm not going to be popular. People are going to say things. So as a person who has, I, I don't know how I want to say it, has made it, because I don't know mm -hmm. if you even consider yourself has made it yet, but has accomplished those obstacles, has printed two books, has written a screenplay, has won awards. Yeah. What was that initial step for you that brought you kind of over into the fold? That's a really good question. And that's actually, I do encounter a lot of people. So uh, one of the other careers that I have had was um, one of my friends asked me to be a part of his tech startup. I was going to ask you about that. I read about you being a, a tech yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so he asked me to be a part of that because uh, I have a background in marketing. Like I talked about going to college for marketing and he, and he wanted to grow this, um, this company that he had started. And uh, what was, I learned so much from that process. I think that there's this, uh, it's such a good question, by the way. So thanks for asking this question. Cause a lot of people, I think they, they don't know all of the things that they should be doing. They don't know the processes. And because of that lack of knowledge, they almost assume that like people get rich by there's like this one way to get rich. And like if I could only buy the book that would tell me that way to get rich. And there are tricks, uh, uh, tricks and tips along the way that you need to concentrate on to get yourself out there and to get your book shown in certain places and to get um, your name out there in certain places. But before any of that happens, it's just a grind to try and it's a grind to try and create something that people love. Um, one of the big mantras when I was doing this tech startup was build something people want. That's the thing, like build something people want. And that's what you guys are doing, right? Like you guys are doing this live show. And you guys are saying, look, we're going to build something that people want. And the way that we're going to do that is by inviting on guests. Like I, I mentioned earlier that I heard the the uh, paranormal investigator couple that was on there. And I listened to, I was riveted for the, for the course of that show that you guys did. I was riveted to what they were talking about. Um, and it's this idea of saying, if you build something that people want, then bring them in, but you are building for, to start with, you're not the Jimmy Fallon's of the world. You're not the Jimmy Kimmel's of the world. They have all of these dollars behind them. There's this huge system that is pushing their content out. And they're trying to, to basically go after the needs of the mass market. Mm -hmm. And as a small time creator, you don't start with trying to meet the needs of the mass market. You start by going after a niche, right? So we right. go after fans of time travel, right? People who like adventure stories and like time travel, that's what we go after. Um, people who like steampunks, people will call steampunk a dead genre. But we're like, hey, look, we don't think it's a dead genre. There's people out there that love steampunk. Go, go to any Comic-Con and you will be proven. Exactly. Can you explain what steampunk is for people out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So steampunk is, that's a great question too. Um, steampunk is essentially sort of uh, Victorian era tech. This is why I'd oftentimes work with Westerns because the Victorian era and, and the Old West were sort of happening in, in, at the same time in different places in, in, in many regards. And so it's taking like Victorian era tech and advancing it as if steam powered things 
had had risen to to prominence as technology as opposed to uh uh gas and coal and those kind of things you're saying no instead it was it's steam powered stuff um and and that is kind of what steampunk basically is so you're dealing with things where like you know in, in order to operate the gun is the gatling guy's uh gun he's using steam powered technology to be able to operate that thing um so i yeah, think wild wild west the is. movie with that's Wolf what Smith i was gonna say a, yeah yes. I, I think that's a great that, example of it yeah. i was thinking that wild wild west off the off the get-go it had the characters you kind of noted and um yeah, that's exactly what I thought about Dustin. Yeah. So thanks for stealing my thunder. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, you but- know what? Uh, I'll be quiet. Hey, uh, I wanted to point out my nephew who comes on the show and watches. He's a Marine in California. Uh, oh, cool. He said he downloaded the audiobook last week. He listened to a little bit. Great book so far. And he's going to restart it when he goes back to the field this weekend. So. Uh, nice. Well, first of all, thank you for serving the country. And I really appreciate that. So cool, cool. And I, need, I, I didn't get all the way through it, so I need to go back and, and finish some of it myself. So yeah, um, I will. I will say this just really quick: is that disclaimer on the audiobook? The audiobook's a little bit ch- more challenging to follow based on the format of the book. So just know that going in, it might for some people. I have heard that they really prefer the printed version because they can follow along a little easier. So just putting that out there. I'm what you would consider a lazy reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I am too. Actually, that's fine. I read so much for work. I'm like, man, I'm getting my my brain <laughs> yeah. working. Oh my gosh, I can figure things out. But no, uh, some. But it's a good option to have. You have both options. A person knows what avenue they should go down to get the content that they need. So yeah. at least you have options. Yeah, yeah. So I read it when I could, and then I listened to it when I was driving because I do a, a long commute every day. So I would listen to it while I was driving and then read it when I had time to read it like at night and stuff. So cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. It, it worked out well. Uh, and, and I'm telling you, it was a great book and, and, you know, you, you talked about the audiobook. I think that's really the only complaint that you've gotten about it is the audiobook, right? That people don't necessarily, they can't follow it as well. Yeah. That's, that's the main complaint. There are, there are, there's a certain amount of the population that, um, when they hear the term book or novel, they have in their mind a very specific literary type of idea of what that is. We have been told that Time Slingers is almost more uh, like a TV show than it is like a book because of the way that it's divided into into sections and the way that we play with it. It's almost well, like I think serial was the best way to describe it, like you did. It's a it's a very short, fast chapter each time yes exactly and that was intentional but i think there are some people who uh, again that aren't necessarily in our target audience um who went out and bought it and were like oh this isn't this isn't the way that this isn't the kind of book that i would have expected and that's the main so those two complaints the audiobook not being able to follow the audiobook and even some people not being able to follow the printed book or the or the ebook is are the biggest complaints we get so if you go read the reviews, you'll know whether or not the book is for you. If you read the reviews on Amazon, you'll find the reviews that say that they don't like it. And it's almost always that they don't like the format. So they're just not going to like any of the story to begin with, you know? Well, and that's sure. not the market you want anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're not yeah. going to win with them no matter what you do. Correct. 
Correct. So one of our buddies, uh, another buddy in the military that is a pilot said, uh, the big guys are not enjoyable. Mainstream entertainment is declining in popularity. People are more inclined to joy, enjoy content from creators that they can actually interact with on platforms like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, my nephew once again says that uh, – he's probably going to put his AirPods in under his headset during our movement, just ignore comms for the most part. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) I don't think national security is at risk, but uh, you know, know, let me say something to you real quick, Jay. Yeah. And let me brag on my buddy there. DJ has a great, he has in, he's been invaluable to production and he has a, Mm. a legitimate professional um system going mm. and he's we've we've tried numerous um softwares and uh i can't say enough about um how good he has been and you know i just have to show up <laughs> and uh dustin really does the heavy lifting and he's been great at it and uh i sincerely appreciate all he's done and and it really has made this show a lot better it we have a ways to go we're going to get there but He's he's really pulled the heavy lifting, and that's that is uh he's very valuable uh, in that aspect for sure. So, yeah, and to back up that comment, he actually reached out to me the other day and said we want to do an audio test and make sure the audio is all set up well and everything. And that I really appreciated that as a guest because I felt very I felt very comfortable coming on your guys' show because I could tell that you take it professional, you want to do it professional, you take your time at it. And, uh, and you, you put out a great show. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff, especially from you. That means a lot coming from you, but, uh, enough about me. Let's, let's talk some more about Jay. Uh, let's talk about, I want to talk about your fan film that you created now. Yeah. There has been, I would say a lot of controversy with fan films, yeah. Lucas has been very welcoming to fan films um, for the Star Wars. He's released the soundboards, all that kind of stuff for the Star Wars films. Uh, we have a guy on YouTube. I, I know you've seen him probably Star Wars Theory. Uh, oh, yeah. And he yeah, made yeah. The, the Vader film Shards of the Past this year, and it, right. it went crazy. And then uh, Lucasfilm and Disney came in and said, you can't do this. And after George Lucas had already given him permission and it got into a whole thing until George Lucas finally stepped back in and said, no, I told him he can do this. He can do it. Yeah. In saying all of that, I don't think, and this goes back to what we were talking about where the Mm. big guys. Okay. Mm. I think we can all agree. A lot of the star Wars films that have come out are shit. (laughs) I, I, I mean, I hate to say it that way, but I think that we can all agree on that. Correct. I, I know I, I so I podcast all the time about Star Wars actually and uh, I know a lot of people that don't say that I'm somewhere in the middle there are we you and I talked the other day when we were doing the, the sound check about the prequels and the prequels have some massive issues along, uh, with them you know so yeah there there are some <laughs> I like your Facebook user comment um, yeah there are there are some there are some bad films in there but I still like a lot of them too, but yes, there are some bad films in there. Uh, I think you're being nice. I I, I really do, and <laughs> probably. And, and and here's why I say you're being nice because yeah. you're you have written. I mean, mm-hmm. you have the chops behind it to say that you have written a fan film. Now, granted, it, it it hasn't been in theaters and things like that, but you have written a fan film 
where you decided to look at the Jedi's. Now you and mm-hmm. I differ there because when we talked the other night, um, I told you that I believe that the best Star Wars stuff that's ever been created is the Clone Wars and talking about right. uh, the the Republic Commando books and all that kind of stuff where it kind of focuses not on Jedi or Sith. It more focuses on the clones and the stormtroopers right. and things like that. Um, so in saying that, when you put out a film like that, it it goes back to that thing where these guys have all this money to do it. And they seem to screw it up every time they do it. (laughs) And then you get a fan that really kind of understands the heartbeat of what people want to see. And they destroy it when they get out there. Yeah, And and that's what happened with with your film and with Vader. You know, people were like, yeah, this is the kind of Star Wars film that we're looking for. And then, of course, that ends up pissing off Disney. It pisses off Lucasfilm. and, And you run across that problem of where they go well they're making better stuff than us so we got to shut it down right right yeah i mean i'm they're in an so this is the advantage of being the small player in the market right we talked about like going after a niche and going after a small amount of the market of fans that will love what you do the problem with being the big player is that you have to you have to account for the needs of a populace that is huge i mean star wars movies at this point in time are like global audiences and so the the entire thought process of saying we're going to meet the needs of the people who love the original trilogy, like me, and we're going to meet the needs of the people who loved the prequel trilogy, a lot smaller group of people, but still, you know, there, there's there's that group that they're trying to hit. And I just think that there's not a consistency of vision there. There's not a consistency of so when you do get a consistent vision, when you do get either somebody who's trying to honor George George Lucas's legacy. By, like Gareth Edwards when he did Rogue One, he was gonna he was saying great I'm gonna make movie. an orig- great movie. Um, he, he's like I'm gonna make a Star Wars film that kind of fits one of George Lucas like films. Um, I think he did a great job at that. But when you compare J.J. Abrams and what he was doing with Ryan Johnson and what he was doing, oh. completely different visions for what Star Wars is supposed to be. You know, J.J. Abrams was kind of trying to be more traditionalist and was being accused of being derivative. And then Ryan Johnson is basically a deconstructionist who's like, what if Star Wars isn't what we all thought it was <laughs> all these years, right? And then, and then you've got that kind, of, that kind of dichotomy of vision where I think a lot of the fan films are going, you know what? We're going to go create a short film because of our love of Star Wars. And so we're not trying to please the mass market, but by, by not trying to please the mass market, we, we hopefully will please a lot of the core fans that really want um, to view what we're, what we're creating. So I, I think you're 100% onto something there. Hi, Jay. How do you feel about Mandalorian? So, oh. yeah, so here, here's the thing. I got Mandalorian <laughs> behind me on the wall. Uh, Mandalorian is my favorite Star Wars of all time. Like, that's, that is, like, my Star Wars, the favorite Star Wars Mandalorian. If you had told me as a kid that they were going to make a Western starring Boba Fett, I've, I'm in. I, I like, think it's awesome. I know. Yeah. I like, you you actually so said that on one of your shows, Jay, when you were comparing spaghetti <laughs> yeah. Westerns to the Mandalorian. That's right. That's right. It's just so cool. So Mandalorian's my my top Star Wars of all time. Uh, my second is Empire Strikes Back. Right below that is Rogue One. Um, and if I if you made me choose a next one below that, the last four episodes of the Clone Wars for me were just phenomenal, um, and that's kind of my Star Wars order right there. And did you did Star Wars Rivals, correct? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I was the co writer and producer on that. 
So it, it resonates with me. Um, I have an older brother. He's a sibling, mm-hmm. obviously. And um, we've had some um, very com- a very competitive relationship, both athletically and personally. Sure. There's been some times where, um, well, not to get too detailed, but I may not hear from him for six months or he's just comes philosophical, Jeff. I love it. No, no, I'm just saying I can really, it really resonates with me. It's about bullying and siblings and, and maybe when one has successes, what it does to the other. Mm. And, uh, there, it resonates with me a lot. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. And evidently you too, um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you and your wife, uh, had some bullying go on and that's right. That's kind of what led you to kind of write that. Yeah, this was this crazy. This is this. Uh, it's actually a crazy story. Um, and one of, one of you guys mentioned on on your paranormal show that you were a Christian. So obviously, I'm coming from a Christ follower's perspective as well. And I had this really fascinating thing happen where it would be very difficult for me not to say that it was influenced by uh, by uh, a supernatural being. I think is God. But I my 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 wife and I were. we were dealing with a situation where she was getting bullied by a family member who had some mental illness going on. So it's a very tragic thing. Right. Sure. And I I remember her telling me about what had happened because she just got off the phone with this person. And I had this instant reaction, of course, like, like, like a lot of you guys would, which is like this son of a bitch. Like why is he bullied? Why does he think he can say these things to you? Right. So Mm -hmm. I had this very like aggressive reaction. And in that moment I had realized that Oh, I took it too far. I took mm-hmm. I took the person who actually needs some of my sympathy because the reason that they're bullying is a really sad, tragic reason. Um, and I turned it into my own anger. And that was a cor- sort of like this what we started building into the storyline of Star Wars Rivals was if you don't check yourself along the way, you can turn into someone who's following the dark side because your anger can turn to hate, which can turn mm-hmm. to suffering, which then that's the path to the dark side. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that was kind of where that, where that story came from was me having that experience. And the crazy thing, I haven't told a lot of people this, so you guys get the, the <laughs> exclusive, I guess. Um, right after we had written and filmed that, I went to work for a place. I won't say the name of the place. And and come to find out, the supervisor that hired me was bullying the entire staff. And if <laughs> I hadn't gone through that process, I don't think I would have made it through the HR investigation that removed that person. Because it because wow. I, I and I just knew for a fact that it was like I have been prepared for this scenario, and there is no way I can that we can allow this to go on. We have to get together and we have to fight back against this 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 severe bullying. I mean, this person was this person was. For, for one of my employees was in her face telling her she was worthless and yelling at her. I'm like, this can't keep happening. This is insane. So, so yeah, that, that, you know, a lot of our stories come from deep seated things that we've had to face in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the power of storytelling is that we get to engage in a way that we get to share the human experience. Um, and sometimes that doesn't work out very well like in some of the star wars movies we're talking about and then all of a sudden we're kind of left with like what are we doing here like is this even a valuable story that we should be telling no i I, that you hit some very strong points i think hurt people just tend to hurt other people and i think hurt people that are closer to you or that you love or in your family they tend to hurt the close family that they're supposed to be closest to and you know another thing about anger and stuff is 
um, with like my brother and, you know, he went to a divorce and some things. And mm. I was um, kind of angry because we, we really cared and loved his, um, my sister-in-law. Yeah. And through that, I thought I was being helpful full and, and trying to give Christ uh, like information. I'd been through a divorce mm. and mm. I realized only later that it really came across not like I wanted it. Uh, and sure. it came from a probably place of uh, condemnation through mm. uplifting in a weird way. Yeah. And um, I had to check myself on that. And and I had to pause and say, Hey, I love you. And and I wish I was a little better with, with um, my guidance and advice and uh, forgive me for it because I don't want that to ruin our relationship. Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's just funny how that works out. Uh, getting back to your redemption. I feel like I was, had some redemption through, through having to sacri- through having to humble myself, which is really what it's all about. But anyway, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. So, <clears throat> in, in talking about all this, and and every once in a while it gets deep on here. What we talk about, I I think it kind of got a little deep during paranormal and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, the good thing about that is that I think that. Even when we talk about something as stupid as Star Wars or the, you know what I'm saying? That, that we learned that all of those come from something within us. I think that this show is something completing, you know, Jeff and I uh, mm-hmm. on this. You're writing the books as something that's completing. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the whole point of this show is to tell people you're bigger than what you think. And that's why we let everyone come in and tell their stories because I think that a lot more people want to do a lot more things in life that they, than they actually do. Yeah. Um, whether that be for fear of rejection, fear of failure, whatever it may be, no one wants to take that leap off the, off the ledge. And, you know, what advice do you give to those people? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but what advice do you give to those people? You know, a lot of times it just comes down to having the courage to go after it and then surrounding yourself with people who can encourage you, but also be also be wise about the strategy that you're taking to get there. You know, when when here's a here's a here's a here's a story in regards to that. We first released Time Slingers back in 2012. Um Back in April of 2012 is when we first released Time Slingers as a book. In fact, I've got an old copy of it here on the wall. This is what the the cover used to look like back here um, before it looked like the new cover. And we released it. Uh, that's that, that's about three months after my mom had passed away because her cancer had come back finally at that time. And uh, and I remember releasing it. I remember feeling the joy of having completed something. And yet it didn't go anywhere. It just completely fell flat. There, there, nobody was buying it. Nobody... Um, and so it, it took me having to go through learning how to do a startup and learning how startups go from zero customers to thousands of customers and then going to people who I knew who had, who were independent publishers and saying like, how do you, how do you do this thing? Learning where they were successful, but that I couldn't be successful because I had to try it a different way. And so the first thing is have the courage to put your foot out the door and say, I'm do- I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. And then secondly, don't assume that there's one process for success. Assume that you are in, 
the, 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 what you're going to do is you're going to put on your hat that says, I have to figure this out. And I can get advice from a lot of different people and that's helpful, but I have to find my own way. So I'll try, you know, my, my thing is always like test and learn, try a hundred different ways of doing something and find the one or two ways that work. The other 98 that don't work and that are failures, you just learned what not to do. And then when you learn what to do, you're good to go. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the way I've always approached it. And I think that that's really good for people just starting out. So just go for it. That's you know, Thomas advice. Edison said something like that. He said that, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, I didn't figure out a way to fix something. I figured out a thousand ways not to do it. <laughs> yes, you know? that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and you know, and, I, I, go ahead, Dustin. Sorry. No, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, um, just to bring this full circle, and, and maybe Dustin doesn't really know this, but um, he knows I, I had a college football podcast with a, a high school a buddy for in 2016 mm. and it started off and, and um, it was great. Now it wasn't so much a pod. Well, we didn't do live shows. We didn't do video. Mm. It was truly a podcast. You went and listened to only. Mm. And I can remember we did one year and uh, we ended up quit, not quitting, stopping. Um, he had uh, um, stuff come up with his family. He had some best in his family and somehow the, the it just it wasn't working out. And it really felt like I, it was unfinished and I felt uh, extremely disturbed inside that it, it was like reading a book and having a great story and you never found out what happened in the end. Mm. It just, it wasn't, it didn't, I wanted to keep going and I was bummed out. So when Dustin asked me to do this, I was, had a lot of nerves and it took us a couple of times. Like, this guy's serious. This is, he's in it for long while he has passion about it. And, and also too, my, uh, I could have probably kept the, my own thing going. That's when Facebook Live just came out was about oh, the time. Yeah. And I was not wanting to put myself out there like that and take a risk, which I thought was a risk, but really that's what you should have been doing the whole time. Mm. So this has come full circle in my past experiences or maybe failures or not finishing it and uh, seeing it through. Um, I don't want to repeat that those those mistakes and i think it really does boil down to is put yourself out there you're not gonna strike a chord with everyone and you can't be there to please everyone and you just have to uh we've been doing this for a short period of time now three what four months maybe About and uh six. has it been six months already yeah, almost yeah okay like i said six months and uh <laughs> i i feel great about this show it, it really what gave me apprehension um, is now something of pride and confidence. Mm. So just, just to share that, I'm not trying to get deeper anything, but uh, it's meant a lot to me. It really has. That's awesome. So let's talk about uh, the Mandalorian a little yeah. bit. Um, I watched a show while I was uh, riding my uh, stationary bike the other day <laughs> where you talked about spaghetti Westerns compared to the Mandalorian. Yes. Uh, your co-host on there talked a lot about um, Fistful of Dollars, The Man With No Name, for a few dollars more, um, and compared a lot of those um, Westerns, Magnificent Seven, The Hateful Eight. There was a lot of stuff compared on there. Right. I agree with you that The Mandalorian is definitely a, a, a Western. 
It, I mean, <laughs> undoubtedly, it's a Western. Um, and and so the whole thing, when it came out, goes back to the thing that we're talking about. When you see over and over and over people saying, um, this is what we want out of our Star Wars. This is what we want. And those companies continue just ignoring it and overlooking it <laughs> until they get to someone like John Favreau, which I mean, if I think we're all in agreement here, the Marvel universe doesn't exist without him. Yeah. Right. And the, the billions upon billions of dollars it's made never exists without his Iron Man. Yeah. And oh. so everything that he touches. So this is kind of a two-part question. When you look at John Favreau, you look at Swingers and the things that he did with yeah. Vince Vaughn and, and the yeah. early stuff that really kind of just only picked up a cult following. It wasn't necessarily popular. And then you look at where he's at now. It goes back to, once again, these small shows that build to the big shows and, and things like that. The same with you. Question number one is, do you look to be a writer for something like that in the future? Do you look to, you know, right now you're 100% on your own, you're individual, but do you look to go, man, I would I would love to work for LucasArts or Disney and, and write these screenplays for The Mandalorian or for The Clone Wars or whatever? Right. And the, the second part of the question is, do you think that you've made it once you get there? Or is there still oh, more to do? Those are really good questions. So, so, so first, anecdotal story. I apologize in advance for doing too many anecdotal stories, but I've met John Favreau in person. <laughs> I met, I met John Favreau because uh, I actually he was signing posters um, for. Uh, have you guys seen Made after Swingers came out? He did Made. Have you seen yeah, Made? it was awful. It wasn't even close to to Swingers. It was not close to Swingers. Very, it, it very had serious. Puff Daddy in it. <laughs> It totally did. Yeah, it totally did. I don't did. think I saw that one. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Anyways, he was out. Anything. He was uh, signing posters for Made, and I go, I go up to him, and he goes, uh, and I didn't know who he was because I hadn't seen Swingers yet. Made was my first John Favreau experience, and he says, "Who should I sign the poster to?" And I go, oh, "I don't know, just just sign it or whatever." And he goes, "Oh, you're gonna sell it on eBay, huh?" And I was kind of like, "Oh yeah, I guess." Haha, -ha, funny. Come to find out, I watch him on a Dinner for Five show where he's around oh, talking to other actors. Oh, that was a great show. Great show, right? Amazing show. Yeah, it was so cool. And he's he was talking about, he's like, you always know the real assholes because they come up to you and ha don't have you sign the poster out to anyone. They just want you to sign your name on it. And I was like, he's talking about me, but I swear I didn't. <laughs> I still own the poster. I didn't sell it on eBay. So anyways, John Favreau thinks I'm an asshole. So you know, um, I, I've seen that at conventions, though, that I've gone to. Yes. So I collect autographs, too. And I saw when I went and I met Stan Lee for the first time. Oh, awesome. By the way, not a great guy. I, I really? Think. I, I could really? be completely off, but not a good guy to me. Anyway, okay, uh, okay. maybe he didn't feel good that day. I don't know what it was, but not a good guy. So he was charging $50 a autograph. Wow. I paid the $50. I, I'm talking to this guy while I'm waiting in line to get the autograph. And he has like 15, 20 books in his hand. And I said, why would you bring that much for him to sign? And he said, because he never personalizes it, never to anybody. He just signs his name. Oh, wow. He said, I can pay $50 for it tonight and sell it for 100 tomorrow on eBay. Whoa. Because it's really? not personalized. So he, he got like 15 autographs. 
probably went on the, you know, eBay and sold them the next day. And that's the kind of stuff that you run across. And, and I understand to a point when these people, you know, when they answer you like that, when they're like, Oh, you're just going to sell it on eBay. Uh, they run across a lot of people too. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of assholes that sign autographs. Right. I think Lou Ferrigno is one of them. He is, he is very rude and, and he charges like $80 an autograph. He probably couldn't hear you though, buddy. Well, so (laughs) here's the thing. Yeah. I, and, and I get that, but you know, here's the thing. I, I look at all of those kind of things where people are getting autographs and people, that's your job. Like you signed up for that. Mm. And, and not only did you sign up for that, but at those conventions where those people pay hundreds and uh, I don't know, thousands of dollars, maybe for a Comic-Con thousand dollars just to come see you. Th- that's mm. what you signed up for. Oh, they probably get huge appearance fees and, you know, yeah. they get a lot of love too. You know, don't get me wrong. It, it can stroke their ego. There's no doubt. Um, but so, so he, he, he basically told you Jay that, you were a scoundrel and you can sell it on eBay. <laughs> he, that's what he said. That's what, that's, I guess what he was suggesting. But of course, you know, he, I'm positive. He doesn't remember me, but I just thought it was funny that I got lumped. Wouldn't in it be great if he later did on. remember you? You yeah, he's like, you're the one. You're that and guy. he's like, yeah. you're that asshole that was going to sell my autograph on eBay. <laughs> that's right. That'd be hilarious. Uh, by the way, shout out to the Facebook user who said you're so money. You don't even know it. Cause that's awesome. That's a great quote. That is, uh, that's our pilot buddy down in San Antonio. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, yeah, so back to your question. Uh, so do you know him or do I, you want me to say him again? No, no, I, I remember. Okay. I remember him. Um, the first question in regards to whether I would like to, to actually work for a place like right. Lucasfilm, um, I, I would never say that I'm not going to do that. But one of the reasons that we started the Reclamation Society, which is our small production company that's producers of Star Wars Rivals and producers of Time Slingers, and it's a very, very small nonprofit. Um, The reason why we started that, though, was because we want to tell stories that impact people. And as soon as you get into the Hollywood machine, the Hollywood machine tends to, like, they'll buy scripts on Mm -hmm. option all the time. They'll take that script. Yeah, just take it over, hand it off to another person. This is the movie we're creating. Mm-hmm. And that really that really scares me. So I, I wouldn't say that I would not go work for one of those companies. But if I did work for one of those companies, I would not stop doing what I'm doing on the side. Because to me, there are stories that need to be told that the mass market sort of will be reluctant to touch. Or if they do touch it, they will tell it in the way that they want to tell it. Um, and well, I think you can would, look at, and let me, let me stop you right there real yeah, yeah, quick. Yeah. Look at the Marvel movies. That is not the infinity gauntlet. I don't <laughs> give a shit what anyone says. That is not the infinity gauntlet story. It's not the basis of the infinity, infinity gauntlet story. It's not anything. They made billions of dollars off it. And it is so far removed from what the infinity gauntlet. I mean, it has all the character, but it, I guess really it doesn't even have all the characters that were in the infinity gauntlet, but it's so far removed from it because once again, we go back to they're looking at the entire spectrum of the Marvel universe. How do we bring the most people with the most dollars in? And I said it when we were, when we talked about those movies and reviewed them before was that who are they going after? 
They're going after the moms and the dads that have all of the money and will bring their kids to it. They're bringing the moms in with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Hemsworth and things like that <laughs> right. that'll spend the money. And they're bringing the dads in because they remember a time when they read those books when they were kids. Right. And so they tell a completely different story. And unless you've read those stories, you're not going to know any different. You're just going to go, yeah, that's what it was about. Mm -hmm. You yeah, know, so even, even in Hollywood, Dustin, to your point is, um, even when it's a true story and it's almost a, you know, they make these true story films, it wages, it, it gets so far off course <laughs> right. and they have to add the glamour and Hollywood ness to make it a film. So even the true story, realistic stories are so, um, manufactured when they don't have to be, but yeah. I, I don't understand some of that either. Yeah. And I think that you, you run the risk of too. like one of the things that I like to play with, if you go and read death of a bounty hunter, for example, you will, um, I'm using a lot of swear words in that book. To me, storytelling is dealing with conflict. And so you can heighten that conflict in a lot of different ways, but but if you take, I'm going to use an example, and not somebody, not somebody who I necessarily agree with their perspective at all. But George R. R. Martin, who wrote Game of Thrones, have you guys seen the Game of Thrones series at all? Uh, yeah, we yeah. love it, <laughs> except for the last season because it was garbage. It was I garbage the last season, man. I, I <laughs> what? Yeah. We got to talk about these things before we get on the show, Jeff, because <laughs> okay, that last well, season was garbage. Okay, I'll, I'll make my point with Dustin later. Go ahead, Jay. Okay, yeah. So, so, so what you had was you had these television creators who were taking George R.R. R. Martin's story and they were adapting it for TV. And there's two observations that I would make with that. The first is that if you've read the books at all, the books, so first of all, George R.R. R. Martin is a pacifist, right? And so when he showcases violence in his books, the violence in his books is always horrific. Um, and, and you can see that in the first part of the, the first part of the series, the TV series, where they're actually following the books. None of the character deaths feel cathartic. Like you might be like, oh, I'm glad that character's dead, but man, the way that they died, that is not what I expected to see. It doesn't feel very cathartic. It doesn't feel very rewarding. But as soon as the 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 TV show got ahead of the books, they started having these really cathartic moments where you're like, wow, the way that character X died is the way that I was hoping he would die. Um, and so you take the author's intent, whether or not you agree with um, George R.R. R. Martin is not my point, but you take the author's intent and you change it because it won't work on TV that way. Um, even though, like you just said, I, I agree that the earlier seasons are far better because they're following the books and they're not we, we're not seeing something that we would normally see um, if taken over by a production studio. So I have a lot of uh, I have a lot of concern about what would be done with our books um, if they were turned if they were given over to some of the big production studios. So if if somebody was gonna say, we want you to come on and write for Lucasfilm, I would say, okay, I'll write for Lucasfilm, but quite frankly, uh, I'm going to keep doing my own stuff because I, I feel like I need to do that and have an outlet for that. Um, and of course, if like somebody came to me and said like it's HBO and you get to control what it is, I'd say, okay, then I think that I, that I'll, I'll go for that. You get um, to remain the creative, but the, yeah. that just doesn't happen anymore. It's so right. rare. It's so rare. Yeah. 
So, well, I would even pose this question to you, Jay. Give me an example of where that exists. Of somebody getting to do whatever they want to. Yeah, where something is true to the actual storyline that it came from. So, I think you might be able to point to a couple of different things, um, but it's creators who usually were basing their stories off something else that they just loved. And then when they sold it to Hollywood, Hollywood bought into that thing. Because I, I personally, like, I love Zack Snyder's version of Watchmen, the movie. Um, oh, I great think, movie. Great movie. And I think that it, you know, it changes the ending of the comic, or the graphic novel, a little bit. But I think it remains true to what um, Alan Moore in his graphic novel was attempting to do. And so, like, that I think is a good example of somebody saying, like, I have a vision that matches the original creator's vision. But it's not an original story. He's going off, off. He's he's being he's able to sell it to the studio by saying, "Look how awesome this is! It has an audience already. I'd like to make it." And then the studio goes, "Okay, you go ahead and make it." The other one that I'd point to is it's not exactly a recreation, but it's pretty close, and that is Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy. Not so much the Hobbit, <laughs> not so much that, but the Lord of the Rings trilogy stayed pretty true to its origins. But again, two different creators. So th- if Tolkien had gone and tried to create that story. They probably would have messed with it too much, if you, especially if he was still alive. Tolkien did so, try and create that story with the cartoon. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. And that was and that was a little bit messed with. Did they even finish the that series? No. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think so. So, so yeah, I, I, to your point, I think that that's a really dangerous place to be. So if I was brought on to a writing team to write something specific, if they said, "Hey, we'd really love for you to write on the Mandalorian. We love what you did with the Western elements of Death of a Bounty Hunter. Will you write for the Mandalorian?" I'd I would probably take that job because I love the Mandalorian, but I would still have to do my own stuff because it the Mandalorian is not going to explore some of the same things that I would like to explore. Um, I, I spend a lot, a lot of time uh, just because of my personal experience in life. I spend a lot of time like Death of a Bounty Hunter is sort of a personal exploration of where I think the American church gets things wrong. Right? It's like why I have a lot of swearing in the book because I think that we focus on some aspects of of our society and culture that we shouldn't be focused on. And yet, if I were to take that to, to the Mandalorian, they'd be like, why would we want to talk about that at all? You know? So, so there's these different aspects of the stories that I want to tell um, that they're, they're not going to be willing to touch. And so, and I would be very reticent to hand it over to them to tell it their way. Cause they'd probably tell us something that I wouldn't want told. So, yeah. So here's the thing you, and when I ask you, you, you brought up Watchmen. Yeah, and of the two of us, of me and Jeff, I'm kind of the movie guy, um, and, yeah, and the comic book guy and stuff. You would agree, right, Jeff? You're a geek. <laughs> the, the way I look at Watchmen, though, Zack Snyder to me is a troubling director, and the reason he's troubling is because unless you see his five hour versions of each movie, because right. If you look at Justice League, it's getting ready to come out on HBO Max where it's going to be the complete story that he looked at. Uh, They released a director's cut of Watchmen where they included the Curse of the Black Pearl and all that kind of stuff. Until you see his full vision, he is a troubling director. I think the only film that he made that didn't need that behind it was 300. Mm, And, And I think he covered everything in there. So... When you talk about he's taking over something and 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 he's just writing or, or he's directing from someone else's point of view, yeah, I think that 
the problem with him and why people there's a lot of hate for Zack Snyder. I think you yeah, would there, agree. There's a really? lot of hate. There is, yeah. So but, I love the movie Watchmen, by the way. And and it's and a great movie. The series that recently came out. Um, yeah, Watchmen yeah. the series. I really enjoyed that. I did too. Very much. That was great. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and here's the thing. What bothers me about it is that they say that, uh, excuse me, Zack Snyder is that he doesn't make what people want to see. They The, mm -hmm. the Batman versus Superman, which is, I mean, technically the Dark Knight Returns. Uh, right, it, it, right. It's de technically that. Um, when you look at uh, the Watchmen and things like that, what's what to me that people say they're like oh he doesn't he doesn't get the story i think he does they just don't let him present it in the way that he wants totally. and so we get back into that thing of hollywood saying mm -hmm. yeah we want you to direct it cuz we think you have a great vision for it but we're going to put it to the masses yep. yep and if they just released it in the way that he wanted to i think it would make way more money because i think the difference between DC and Marvel is DC has stepped in so many potholes along the way and they didn't listen to their people like Marvel did with John Favreau. Yep. And, you know, they bring in all these different directors. The only, I would say the only movie that really struck a chord with people in the DC universe was Wonder Woman. Yeah. And, and you see that because they made Wonder Woman 84. But that's the difference, and and I think that's where DC is messing it up against right. Marvel. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're totally honest with that. In fact, I think what DC has done. So, so I, I like to look at this from a um, from a producer's perspective, having produced a couple things now that we produce Star Wars Rivals and these books. And one of the things that you can see from a producer standpoint is that when you mess with the creators too much and you don't let them pursue their vision all that fervently, if you will, uh, it's really. We love what Nolan did do more dark stories like that. And then they hire Zack Snyder to do that. And then they go, no, 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 no. Marvel's Marvel's getting all the money over here. Let's not do any dark stories anymore. Do some lighthearted stories. And then it was like, oh, wait, Deadpool's good. Let's do a Harley Quinn. I, they, they, they don't have a vision for what they're doing. And so it's kind of similar to what we talked about with Star Wars. So they just go, they just basically try and jump on the latest trend as opposed to trusting their storytellers. Um, David Ayer is actually a really, I think David Ayer is, is really fantastic um, as a director. And they messed with Suicide Squad so much. You, he'll tell you, he said this on Twitter, like, that's not at all the movie that I have filmed. That's something They're going to make it up with compile. James Gunn's version. I hope so. I what hope is so. That? Uh, so James Gunn is doing Suicide Squad 2, and he is who did Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yep. Um, actually, his first directorship was uh, the Toxic Avenger. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. So he started with Trauma. I mean, he started at the bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Um, but when he came over, because, you know, he got into that tiff with Marvel and Marvel was like, you know what? You're not going to tell us what we're going to do with gardens of the galaxy three. Right. 
they brought him over. DC said, listen, you can do whatever you want because you made gold out of D level. I, I would, and, and not to get too nerdy, we're yeah. talking D level characters in the Marvel Universe with totally. Guardians of the Galaxy. Totally. You know what? That's that's what I was going to say is the, the traditional DC characters, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, they strike a chord with me way more than the Marvel characters. I mean... Marvel characters still good, but DC yeah. I think has strong characters in strong tradition. They like y'all said they've just misled or not, not really hit on the stories or the storytelling. And you know Marvel's all over the place too. But um, I don't know reviews as much as you, and I probably don't. I guess I'll ask you guys this: When you are looking at a movie or directorship, and in, in, in Dustin, you said. Um, Oh, the director that made 300 and uh, what, what was his name Zach again? Snyder. What? And you said something about Game of Thrones. What are you looking for that tells you it's poorly made or what they hit the mark on? What are those things, y'all, that you guys both are talented enough and you have passion about? What is it? What are some main things you critique outside of just the story. Do you want to take this first, Jerry? You want me to? You, you take it first. You take it first. Okay, so let's look at Batman versus Superman. Okay. It was technically the Dark Knight uh, Rises. No, okay. uh, Dark Knight Returns. Okay. So the, the storyline behind it is Batman has reached an age where he has just given up pretty much completely on society. He doesn't want to fight crime anymore. He thinks, what's the point of doing this anymore? And so for a lot of years, he said he won't kill. He won't do this. He won't do that. He'll do anything now. He he doesn't care. He, he has found that being the good and respectful person that, that everyone thought he was didn't do him any good. So he'll just do whatever he wants. So you have that in Batman versus Superman because they fight each other, but you don't get that sense. And I and and controversially, I think Ben Affleck was a phenomenal Batman. I, I think he was. Batman, a, I think yeah. he was a great Bruce Wayne. Yeah. yeah. But the way they told the story killed it. Yeah. I didn't like. I didn't like the premise of Batman versus. First of all, I don't want those two people fighting. Really, but, like, they, but they have numerous times, right? But uh, you know, get through your crap and you work together as a team. I mean, su first of all, Superman's my favorite character of all time. I love Superman. Mm -hmm. I, I love the story. I grew, I grew up on that. I love the originals. Um, Superman's my guy. So I, maybe it's true, you know. And I, I wasn't a comic book person. I didn't do a whole lot of comic book reading growing up, actually. I really didn't do any of it, to be honest with you. Uh, actually, what I digested was the movies and the shows where you guys have read it and you know it. So I really don't know what's really off of that or what's on or how accurate things are or how um, true to the stories they are in the movies. So I think, uh, you know, I'm a rookie with that, you know, getting to know Dustin and, and the movie stuff. I've really taken a deeper look into some of that, but I'm in the very uh, uh, infancy stage of my experience with um, with that. But uh, I love Superman, but 
Jay, what is your what is your take on what makes or breaks or who who what directors get it right or may get it wrong and for what reasons? Yeah, this is a, this is a really good question. And by the way, uh, one of your Facebook uh, users said that they love the Guardians movies, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One is my favorite MCU movie of all time. Still, greatest so, soundtrack uh, too. Oh, fantastic soundtrack! Um, so as a, as a storyteller, I am highly interested in the way that the story unravels, the way that the story. Uh, so so. When we get into, there's a book here I have on my desk. I have a lot of books on my desk, but I have a book on my desk uh, called Wired for Story. And if anybody's interested in ever writing, you should read Wired for Story because it's it's about how the brain is wired to understand and interpret the world through storytelling. Okay. And so essentially at the end of the day, because the brain is wired to ask questions of the stories that we watch or that we read. It's asking the question, why? Why is this happening? Why did that happen? Now, why did that character do this? Now, why did the character do this? And I am very interested in the exploration of answering the question why and doing so in such a way that it is a compelling story. Um, and that's the primary criteria by which I judge a lot of the stories and the movies that I invest time in. And so a lot of times, like with what, with what Dustin is saying, Dustin is saying basically like, the story that this is based on did a really good job. Batman Returns is fantastic. Yes. One of the best Batman stories that. ever written. Yeah. And you'd say the original story is fantastic because it answers all of these questions of why Batman's doing this. And he puts him in such an interesting place for him to be. Because the whole time we've ever seen Batman, he's trying to bring order to chaos. The chaos of Gotham. He's trying to bring order to the chaos of Gotham. And now we see him and he's like, I don't give a shit anymore. Like, let the chaos just just happen, right? Like Dustin talked about. I think that anytime that you take the original source material that works and then you try to turn it into something else and it doesn't kind of work means you tweaked the story too much and you didn't really get to dive into some of the things you wanted to dive into. And actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna double down on backing up what Dustin said by saying certain stories, if you take them, like Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman, the ultimate edition, actually works pretty well as a story and leads to a movie that is not Justice League at all. Um, Justice League is actually my most disappointing film in the history of filmmaking because really? yeah, it's not that it's it's not that it's a terrible film. It's that what we were told was coming next. So so Zack Snyder had a trilogy going because he had Man of Steel, which I very much enjoyed. I thought a Man of Steel, especially for the first half of it. The first half of Man of Steel to me was a masterpiece. Um, after Do that, you agree though? And I just want to stop you for just yeah, a second. yeah, yeah. That's not Superman. The it way is, Man of Steel ended is correct. not Superman. That's correct. That is okay, not Superman. That's all I have to say. Go back to what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. So, so I I enjoy as a storyteller. I like uh, I like deconstructionism. I did mm -hmm. not like the, I did not like as much the deconstructionism that Ryan Johnson brought to the Last Jedi. I thought he overstepped his bounds. I thought he was trying to do something that didn't fit into Star Wars very well. However, I did like the deconstructionism of Superman because it was kind of like, how did super, how would Superman's life have really gone had he landed where he landed, Kansas, but fast forward 70 years or whatever it is, right? And then how would that look? How would that look different? So I kind of like what Zack Snyder was doing, but Justice League does not continue forward what, what Zack Snyder was doing at all. It completely circumvents 
anything he was trying to do. And it's because he was taken off the film and Josh, Josh Whedon was brought on to finish that out that film. And that just created massive issues. So I can't wait for the, the HBO thing. But in my mind, it's just because the, the brain cannot wrap itself around like, why are we getting this now? Like, why? But there's no reasons that we should be getting this. And that, to me, is just really, really disappointing when I see that happen. So, Do y'all base this off of the previous movie stories or the original stories in the books or comics? Hmm. Good question. I think both. Both? I tend to, I tend to base it off of the... I only fall back to the original work when the new work has disappointed me so much that I'm like, this, okay. is, this is horrible. So I'm, I'm okay with them. Again, I'm okay with deconstructionism. Uh, I don't like deconstructionism when it's purely to deconstruct something that people like. And you just like, so to me, having Superman do what Superman does at the end of that film is like, oh, that's really fascinating for this, for this person to feel like this is the last thing they want to do, but they're not left with any good choices. That's fascinating to me. If but like when you when you deconstruct something like the way that Ryan Johnson did it with The Last Jedi, I go, I don't think this is Star Wars anymore. <laughs> like this doesn't feel like Star Wars to me anymore. And that's kind of the, the issue that I have. So it just kind of depends on what was it how about it shows Justice up. League that disappointed you the most? So Justice League was built so Zack Snyder's film was building toward the appearance of Dark Side. And um I can't even remember what's the name of the guy. I'm it's totally slipping my mind. Dustin, you know what's the name of the enemy in Justice League? It is uh, oh, Steppenwolf. Yes, there you go. Yeah. So, so I was trying to think. It's a band. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> um, so Steppenwolf is the enemy, and 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 Steppenwolf was only supposed to usher in uh the appearance of dark side and dark side is like the ultimate enemy of superman in many regards he's um, thanos in the dc universe exactly right and so that to me was fascinating that to me was going to the the justice league was going to have to get together to overcome the thanos character dark side and we just got Steppenwolf, and it was like, who cares? Who cares about this guy? It's not. There's nothing interesting about this. And and Zack Snyder had kind of foreshadowed things that just never came to fruition in Justice League. And that was just that just really bummed me out. It just didn't. It just it felt like it felt to me the way that Dustin just described the last season of Game of Thrones. That's what Justice League felt like to me. I thought it decon like you talk about deconstruction. I think I thought it was deconstructed so much it felt. Like several individual films in one. Mm, absolutely. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Here's what I didn't like about Justice League. So mm. when you look at all the characters that were in Justice League, I already told you I thought Ben Affleck did a great older uh Bruce Wayne. I think he would be phenomenal in a Batman Beyond movie as yeah. that Bruce Wayne. Um and my favorite character that I stepped away from Justice League was Aquaman. So when they announced mm. the Aquaman movie, uh, Aquaman was terrible. Sorry. In Justice League, he was great. Yes, but as the movie, when you get to the to the Aquaman movie, it was awful. Off. It was awful. <laughs> it was a CGI nightmare. It wasn't written correctly, and so. When we talk about the DC movies, that's where I think that we get 
that's where DC missteps is they get this character like Aquaman with Jason Momoa, who is a very likable character, a very likable actor. And we build this up and then we make their own movie and it turns into garbage. We, we get these characters that are Batman that are beloved and and I would say the only Batman movies that aren't loved are the, uh, Joel Schumacher Mm. Batman's. I I think you would agree, Jay. Um, they're the only ones that really aren't liked. Uh, when Tim Burton did it, when Christopher, Uh, uh, Knowles did it, all that kind of stuff. Everything was good. When you look at the Joel Schumacher's, they didn't exist. That's the problem which that I think. Those, Dustin, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What's that? Which which Joel Schumacher movie? Which ones were those? So like Batman Forever, when he put the nipples on the bat suits, and um, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and we laugh, but that was what a lot of people had problems with was him doing little stupid tweaks like that into the Batman universe. Um. He brought in uh, Alicia Silverstone to be Batgirl. Yeah, okay, um, yeah, yeah, that was not good. Uh, I think that was actually when they brought in Mister Freeze and Two Face, which was, uh, which was if you look at it, the the idea behind it, you look at you've got Tommy Lee Jones, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Val Kilmer. Um, I can't think who played Robin. Chris uh, Chris oh, yeah, O'Donnell. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Chris O'Donnell. You have Alicia Silverstone. All these people that are huge on the spectrum at that time. And the movie is straight the movie garbage. Is terrible. Yeah. And it I think a bad cartoonish version of it. Yeah. And and I think that well, and, and that's it. They 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 went too much for the nineteen sixties Batman when they should have been focused on what made the Tim because the Tim Burton movies whether anyone wants to say it or not, are super dark. I would almost mm. say they're darker than the Christopher Nolans. Mm. Really? I, I mm. mean, if you think about it, Michael Keaton, to me, who's the best Batman that's ever played the role, uh, and who is going to play Batman again in the Flash movie. That's right. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but I, I love Michael Keaton. But when you look at that, it is a dark movie. He doesn't talk to anyone. He just stays in the house. He does what Batman does. He just kind of lurks around more than even Christian Bale did with the character. That is the darkest of the Batman movies. You know what I loved about Christopher Nolan is the way he used music and sound mm. to build a uh, momentum in, you know, in bad situations. I thought he was brilliant with how he used that. Uh, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would agree. And, and, and that's how you can tell it's a, it's a uh, Christopher Nolan movie. You, Mm -hmm. if you look at inception, if you look at any of the Batmans, it's the same music. Uh, That's how you, even if you look at tenant, that's going to come out in the fall, it's the same kind of music and stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's where, DC really messes it up is they, I would almost say they think that they know better than their audience. Yes. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. We're smarter than you guys. So we're going to do it. Right. Right. We, we know what you guys want when actually people are telling them, no, this is what we want. Yeah. Okay. So we talk about the problems. How do y'all, 
can you both give me your version of the proper solutions? Uh, he's the writer, so I'm going to let him answer this. <laughs> yeah, how do you steer this thing back to course, in your opinion, and and what must be done? Yeah. So I so first of all, I am a big believer in there has to be a consistent vision for what you're trying to accomplish. And if you look at any of the successful properties when they were successful, they always had a consistent vision. So if you look at the MCU right now, why is the MCU so successful underneath Kevin Feige? Because Kevin Feige is orchestrating all of the movies. He knows what's going on. He knows what they're leading towards. Endgame, I'm, I'm not a big Marvel fan, actually. I'm a bigger DC fan than I am a Marvel fan. But Endgame was the appropriate ending to that entire 10 years worth of movies that came out. It was if I could, though, yeah. Kevin Feige, you brought him up. Yeah. What's also good about him is if yeah. something doesn't work, he gets rid of it quickly. Absolutely. And you can look at the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk, and <laughs> that didn't hit. And he was like, get rid of him, which it was a pretty good Incredible Hulk with Edward Norton. But he knew... That's not the one. That didn't Let's translate. go to this guy, and it yeah. turned out to be the best Hulk there is. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. So he gets it. He 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 sees what the vision for this this storytelling is, and he and he holds people to that vision. So I think that um, the biggest thing with Warner Brothers, if you look at all of the different shakeups in what they've done, first of all, I don't think that Zack Snyder. Um, should have been given the reins that he was given because I don't, I actually don't think that Zack Snyder is what I would call a visionary director. In my mind, Zack Snyder is really good when he is directly interpreting another person's story. <laughs> so he's okay. a very good visual director. He's amazing at visuals. He's able to take something that was a comic, turn it into a film, and it's phenomenal from a visual perspective. Um, but yeah, I think I think like when you had Star Wars was under the guidance of George Lucas, he was sort of serving as the Kevin Feige. But as soon as you get away from George Lucas, you start to see, well, that's a hit and that's a miss. Well, why? Because there's no one in that role. No one's in the role of saying like, no, 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 we only green light these. No, that's the wrong Hulk. Hulk, throw that Hulk out, get a different Hulk. Like there needs to be someone who's sitting there. And if you look at the history of Warner Brothers and how they've dealt with DC films, it's this constantly shifting landscape of leadership. And I just don't think you can lead. Uh, I don't think you can. Obviously, you don't think you can lead a good storytelling crew without really good leadership. So, two things I would say to that: when you say that he's not a visionary director, but he can interpret someone's mm. story into a visual uh, masterpiece. Right. I guess that's what you're saying. Yes. Every movie he's done, except for Three Hundred. Yeah. has been someone else's work. Would you agree? Uh, well, technically 300 was even... Um, oh, what's his name? What's well, it was a... It was a, a uh, not Neil Gaiman. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're on the right track. It's very similar yeah, to Neil Gaiman. Yeah, it's the, it's the guy that has done Frank, so much stuff. That, Frank somebody. Um, Frank, what's his last name? I don't know. I don't know. It's not an Alan Moore, right? No, it's not Alan Moore. It's uh, it's the same. I believe it's the same guy that did uh, Batman Returns, isn't it? Uh, I'm not mistaken. Well, here's the point I'm going yeah. at with yeah, 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 yeah. Is that he has these stories like Batman v Superman, Watchmen, yeah. um, Frank Miller, and I Frank Miller. I, there it is. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and Frank Miller has publicly come out and said, I don't like anything they've done with any of my stories. Hmm. And he's, he's kind of, you know, uh, he along with, well, not much, not as much as Alan Moore. Alan Moore has really said, oh, he hates it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He hates everything yeah. they've done. Right. Um, and you know, that that's always been funny to me. Cause I'm like, well, you continue green lighting things. So <laughs> yeah. if you hate it so bad, stop green lighting everything. <laughs> but when you look at it with Zack Snyder, all of those stories that he has, Watchmen, Batman v Superman, Justice League, those are all other people's stories. When Darkseid comes down, that's a story that's already been written in the comics. Yeah. So is it him or is it the company stopping him from doing it? Well, I think a little bit of both. So I think I think part of it is that he is putting his interpretation. Like Watchmen is, like I said, almost a direct adaptation of the graphic novel. Um, 300 is very close to, like you said, I, very I think they leave the a lot of Rorschach out of that Watchmen movie. That's probably fair. That's probably fair, but it's close. It's pretty close. The, the Batman V Superman. Yes, I agree with you. It was totally messed with, with by Warner brothers, but it's also not exactly the dark Knight returns. It's a, some semblance of that. Some, some cobbled together mess that I think that. I actually like where they were going with it, but I just don't think they could get there. Um, they sold it as the Dark Knight Returns, though. Yeah, yeah, and it's not quite that, right? Like it doesn't feel like it's totally that. It and, doesn't uh, feel like that at all. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's my issue is that it's Warner Brothers messing with it, but it's also Zack Snyder who's getting maybe. I think you know if you take a guy like Zack Snyder, he's super creative. He he just starts adding more stuff, and pretty soon you like you said you, you got a seven hour movie, and the studio is not going to greenlight that, so they cut it down into two hours, and then it's a mess, you know. Like, <laughs> and then HBO Max picks it up and pushes it out. <laughs> right, let me, let me right, ask right. you: You hit a point earlier about um, these directors, or like it, it, Warner Brothers' case with DC, hmm. uh, changing leadership in constant ebbs and flows, and not having consistent stories that kind of lead to the next one. Do you think? There's a part of that that a new leadership or new people come and they go, we have to leave our mark on this. We have to change it all up. It, do you think that plays a role? Like, you know, we got to go a different direction and that creates um, a disconnect automatically. So one of the things that I try and tell a lot of creatives that are doing like that want to be storytellers. One of the things I always tell them is, you really need to think like a producer thinks as you think about how a writer or a storyteller thinks, because a lot of times producers, I'm not saying that they don't care about the stories, but their focus is far more onto the bottom line than it is on, on the actual storytelling. Um, and so I don't think it's so much that they want to leave their mark as the person who revolutionized Batman or the person who revolutionized Superman. A lot of the people at Warner Brothers want to be the the person that made the next biggest movie that grossed okay. $500 million domestically and, and made the studio a bunch of money so they can go to the next place and make a bunch they of money. They want to be the next Kevin Feige. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They want to be the they want to be the money guys at the end of the day, right? Um, and so I think that 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 when you have people messing with money and you have people messing with craft, 
sometimes those things just do not mesh well and you got to find a way around that. And that, that's my biggest thing. And probably people that want to take credit for success, but not a failure. And Absolutely. There's a lot of that probably from the big machine production companies um, and maybe not so much from the directors, but I'm sure there's those two, but I can see how a Warner brothers or a, another big company um, individuals may uh, want to create something that's not there or, they're trying to hit the next big thing and make a name for the self. And, and that probably really does provide uh, a misguided message. Yeah, exactly. So Jay, let's take this full circle. They take time slingers yeah. or death of a bounty hunter. Yeah. These studios go, they give you uh they give you a um, contract. Uh, I'm trying to think what it's called uh, where they just hold on to the rights of the story. Oh, the option um, it. Yeah, sure. The option. I'm sorry. Yeah. So they give you an option. They go, hey, we're going to make this movie. Just give us a little time to put it together. Right. We're going to do Pedro Pascal as, as your bounty hunter and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. How do they make those stories right by you? So for me, the biggest thing is always going to be, did you stay true to the intent that the reason why we wrote the story um, and Hollywood does have a very different perspective than lit the literary agencies have because the literary agencies, even the comic book agencies actually will take chances on things because they go like, we have a much smaller audience. It's comic book fans. It's comic book fans want to see an old Batman and <laughs> an old bitter <laughs> Batman. We want, they want to see that. So we're going to release more than Batman. anything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and yet, if you take it to Hollywood, Hollywood goes like, well, no, nobody wants that. No, that, we, we want to do something that's more traditional so we can make money. Um, so I would, I would need for whoever was going to partner with us to do it, that they really saw the vision of what we were trying to do and wanted to pursue that particular vision and didn't want to go, oh, you got Gatling guns for arms? That's a cool idea. We just want to have that story because <laughs> of that. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it's a totally different thing. You know what I mean? So that would be my biggest so, thing. So here's, this is going to be a two-part question. Okay. What is the vision of Time Slingers for a yeah. movie? Because I think it would make a phenomenal movie. And... What is the vision of Death of a Bounty Hunter? What and and I haven't read that one, so I can't really follow you on that one. But definitely on the Time Slingers, I can right. follow you. Let me follow that up: is of the main characters, can you um, maybe name a few big actors that you think would be good roles for those characters? Oh, that's good. Yeah, that would be fun. Actually, I would love to hear your guys' take on that. That'd be even more fun. Um, okay, so for Time Slingers, I'm I'm much less concerned about someone taking over Time Slingers. Because it is intended to be a fun story. The one thing I would not want them to mess with, with Time Slingers, is that aspect that you and I have talked about already, that the that no character is inherently the bad guy or the good guy, and you're not sure who to root for. I would want that to remain intact. Um, because that is part of the intention of what we're doing here. We're saying we're going to hold intention that the global government may not be all bad, but we should be skeptical of it. And the freedom fighters may not be terrorists, 
they may actually be freedom fighters and we should pay attention to what they're saying. I would want mm -hmm. that to, 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 to be maintained for time slingers for sure. But, but Jay, I would, I would pose the question to you in, and yeah. and having read this book, they would have to write the movie exactly on the book line. Yeah. They would have to so. follow the story almost exactly. Yeah. 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 Because there is such a, minuscule line that they're writing uh and, it's a delicate and that's balance, line, right? that Hector, that's everyone there there's that minuscule line they're riding right right and we put a lot of intent and intention into that 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 line that that whole balancing act and so so yeah that would that would scare me if they were going to be like one of the things i would really 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 just be devastated by honestly is if they took time slingers and they made it into like a political piece of some sort oh, and said yeah. like you know, like, because here's, here's where they here's can the mess message. it up, Jay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's personal they, politics will over overhaul that. Yeah, the character exactly. of Hector is where yeah. it goes wrong. Yes, yes, I agree. I More totally than agree. anybody, the character of Hector is where it goes wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I think the the other way that it would go wrong is if they tried to showcase Marcus Klein as like your traditional evil villain, and I'm like, that's not what he is at all, right? Like, or even expose him as your traditional hero exactly exactly right because yeah, totally. he rides that line yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah i agree with you i agree with you on that now who would you cast as some of the roles this is i would love to hear this this is how you take this one i would like to see Man, um, maybe Chris Pine as Klein. Oh, I like that. That's a good choice. I like Chris Pine a lot. Yeah, uh, because he can play those those uh, characters that are kind of just right. I mean, hell or high water. He played it perfect. Oh, oh he yeah, was awesome in that. He was awesome. I in that. That and I liked his yeah. uh, his his co star was. I love that guy too. I yeah, think that I agree. I've mentioned him before. I think Pedro Pascal could play Hector great. Oh, he would be amazing as Hector. Yeah. And that, is uh, that Mandalorian? Yeah. Yes. That's right. But okay. he was also, um, he's played in a lot of stuff. He's great. Also, he was in Game of Thrones. Yeah. He was in Game yeah. of Thrones and he was also in uh, Narcos. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I could see Josh Brolin as the colonel. Oh, that would be amazing too. Yeah, that would be cool. Josh, really, Josh Brolin. So, or what about the Colonel? Uh, hmm. I had a name to escape me, but but continue on, Dustin. I'll come around. I, I think, and I think Josh Brolin would play the Colonel great because uh, he does almost that. Almost that character in Sicario too. Oh, where really? I, I haven't seen Sicario too. Oh, excellent! It is as good as the first one. Really? Okay, I'll it watch took it. me a couple of times watching it, but guy. it is as good as the first one. Mm, mm, mm. Awesome. Um, I'm trying to think of the sister who yeah. would play her, and I want to say, who is the girl? 
She played in the rundown and she's in all the Marvel shows on Netflix, uh, especially daredevil. Um, Oh yeah. Kristen Ritter. No. Um, the Hispanic female daredevil. Yeah. Yeah, Um, is it Ben Affleck's old wife? Oh no. Rosario Dawson. There you go. Rosario Dawson. I think that would play an excellent sister to Hector. Yeah, that'd be because cool, she can play that action role and all that kind of stuff. How would you feel about the Colonel being uh, Woody Harrelson? Oh, that would be cool too. I, you know, I think there. Woody Harrelson could play Falco better. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. Falco's got to be somebody who's a little is bit a dickhead. More political. He's <laughs> exactly. A dickhead. Yeah. Exactly. Let, let's call it what it is. He's a dickhead. <laughs> he very much is. Yeah, that's very very true. Very true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think, and then, you know, we can fill in the other roles as they come, but I think this movie, and, and it's not cause you're on the show. I think this movie would be great if, if they got the point of the novel to come over into the movie, it's mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. because the point that it pushes over and over to me is that with these people they they continue telling themselves oh yeah we're we're saving the timeline we're we're but they fuck up the timeline <laughs> at every turn <laughs> right. hey right, we exactly. gotta stop the president from being killed oops <laughs> hey we gotta stop <laughs> right. oops right right exactly yeah exactly. and they're like okay so where do we go from here where do we go from here where do we and and, it, and it's a continually evolving timeline when it's a timeline that we already know, but it's presented as a timeline that we don't know. Right, right. Colonel could be Dennis Quaid. Mm. Oh, that would be cool. Now that would be good. That was a great one. He yeah. plays a really good villain, but good guy kind of deal. Yeah. But Dennis Quaid would be good in that. Yeah. I like that. You know, here, here's another one. I say that we take... I cannot believe I'm drawing a blank now. And I I had him in my mind. Uh, This movie married to Goldie Hawn. Oh, yeah. Kurt Uh, Russell. Kurt Kurt Russell. Russell. Yeah. As the Colonel. Oh, that That would be be amazing. Does the Colonel have a a traditional flat top or what? Yeah, but if it was Kurt Russell, we'd probably just have to go with long hair. (laughs) A younger Jack Nicholson. Oh, that would be amazing too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I like about the Kurt Russell option too is that he could grow a legit mustache for that too. Which we could have that. You have him have a mustache. Your mustache beard game is on point always. I've I've seen all the pictures. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank Good you. Good looking out, brother. <laughs> I try my best. I try my best. Much better than uh, the other guy that's hosting this. <laughs> oh wow, that's so mean, man. Look how your beard is, man. Look at yours. <laughs> well, I trim mine up every show. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, I manscape like my like, beard for I like every show. I like Thank you very much. Yeah. It looks so sexy, man. <laughs> so, you know, to bring all this around, let's talk first. I want you to, to present your, I don't want to say story, but present your idea to people out there that are scared to do. I know we've talked about it before in the show, but people yeah. that are scared to kind of take that leap into writing or whatever, uh, let them know that it, even if they write bullshit, <laughs> right. 
it's still better than not writing. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, I'll, I, I would say that it all starts out as bullshit. Like there's there, there's no way around that. Like it all start you when you start something, it is shitty. And the thing that you learn to do is you learn to write it better and better and better. And you learn to aim it towards the audience that loves what it is. And you continue to go back to that well to continue to learn from those people to continue to not, not, not so that, so this is the way I tell people, right? You write the story inherently for yourself and then you go find people like you, right? Okay. You go just like you guys, right? Like you write it for yourself, and then I, and then, and then, and then you guys are able to share this experience with me and go, hey, in in this way, we're connecting because we like this kind of stuff together. We're all we're all a part of loving this thing, and so you start out to write it for yourself, but as you go along, you learn, you learn about how to present it to another person by mm -hmm. having people read it and give you feedback, and read it and give you feedback, and read it and give you feedback, and you don't take all the feedback. But you identify the things that you go like, oh, yeah, I would okay, love but, it more if I did this. But here's the thing that I want to ask you about, because I yeah. think this is what scares a lot of people into not doing it. You yeah. say you take the feedback, but not all of it. I don't yeah. think people understand that. They they mm. when they see that first person, like you said, that came across and said, This is the worst book I've ever seen. <laughs> right. Come on, guy. It's not the worst <laughs> book you've ever seen. That is a violent that. reaction to a very small problem. You know, that same person might have really liked the story, they just don't like the outcome. And that's totally. really on the writer. So yeah. so that is so um that can be it, it, it's so open to interpretation where yes. they now, oh damn it, I wish it would have ended different. But the story's right. still good, and that's right. that's how they express their displeasure. Yeah, yeah. But I think people look at that and they go, oh, people said it's the worst book ever. I'm never gonna write again. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I could see how that. That's a troll, man. That that is right. a huge. That is a nuclear reaction answer to a very minuscule problem, <laughs> right. and people, but but. But being serious about that, and and that's in podcasting, writing, movies. People go, oh, people didn't like it. Well, people don't like a lot of shit in the world. <laughs> right, right, right. But you got to keep grinding until you find that thing. Yeah, and I, I would encourage people to think about it this way, right? You have inherently in you the ability to create things. And maybe it's not a story you're writing. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a product you want to create. And if you think about that, think of the shared experiences we've had over the past two and a half hours or whatever it is we're at now. We have had shared experiences where we've got to talk about our experiences with being bullied. We had one of our commenters mention that they were bullied at work, too. We've, we've had experiences about what the comics we enjoyed growing up were and how those turned into movies that we either liked or did not like. These are these are if you don't write it, if you don't put yourself out there. You don't get a chance to share some of those experiences with people. And so so choose an idea that you are super passionate about that that actually matters to you because it will matter to other people too. And then you just have to you just have to be able to say I'm going to find the people that I can share this experience with who will appreciate it and I'm going to just tune out the people who are foolish. If a person responds to you and says I didn't, what the story wasn't really for me and here are some tweaks you, you could make that might make it better take that in go yeah maybe that's true maybe that's not true let me ask another person but right. if a person says this is the worst book ever yeah, that person is just being foolish yeah <laughs> just, 
just leave That's them to their foolishness. Story, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then just 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 put that aside. It is hard. You do have to have a certain amount of a thick skin, but have a have a have people around you who will say, "No, this you're a really good you're you're a really good storyteller." Maybe you're not a good writer, but you're a good storyteller. Then work on your writing. Maybe you're a really good writer, but you don't have a story to tell. Just do some introspection and figure out what story it is that's on your heart to get out there. Um, there's multiple ways of approaching. We all have we all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses that we're bringing to the table, and it's a matter of who we bring into our lives that can help us get past those weaknesses and really focus on our strengths and get that out there. Yeah, I think as people, and to your point is, we're all looking to connect. We want to connect with other people. We want people to understand us. We want people to hear our story so we can hear their story, and then we can share these experiences. And uh, like now in our current culture, and there's there's so much – like I I think – I. So we have more likenesses than we have differences in this world. Yeah. We got to get past the, um, the, uh, the, the walls and, and some of the anger. And I think if there's a true um, dialogue that takes place, we're going to find we're more connected with everybody than we're not. And I, I think what you do so. that um, I admire that um, you connect truly with people and they get to uh, experience your stories, and they love them. So I think that is a, um, an important aspect to what we're dealing with today, and it always has been, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say this about you, Jay. What I respect is that you're not scared to step off that ledge. I think mm-hmm. Jeff and I, and, and I'm going to speak for you for a second, Jeff, I think we're still scared to step off that ledge and make this like a full-time thing. This is kind of a side hustle um, that we look at. And and I respect people that go, you know what? I don't care. I'm stepping off the ledge and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are scared to do that. I think a lot of people kind of test the waters and, and you know, look around. I, at one point, I would like to say, like, this is what we are meant to do. Like, let's do this. Uh, This is the show that we are meant to do, but there's, there's a lot of things that, that come in the way of it. So I want to give that respect to you that you have, you know, you've said, I want to write this book. I'm going to publish it. I want to write this second book. I'm going to publish it. I want to write a screenplay. I made a movie uh, on YouTube. And, and to me, YouTube is bigger than the theaters right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and not even now. I think going forward, it's an even bigger media Mm. Mm. because you get direct uh, response to what you do. Right. Whether they be a troll and they go, this is the worst book I've ever read, or they say, this is the greatest book I've ever read, or this is the greatest screenplay or the greatest movie, you get that direct response interaction where they tell you this is where you can be better yeah or this is where you can be better i i guess i should say this is where you can be better for me right Right. that's a good point yeah Yeah. you know and like i said you know we we are still trying to figure it all out um trying to figure out the problem that we have with this show is that we we want everyone's stories 
Yeah. Right. And so people go, well, I like this story, but I don't like this <laughs> right. story. And I like this well, story, but I don't like this story. Or, and we've had some really diverse people on here that have wonderful stories and accomplished great things like yourself. And um, I never want to lose sight of that. Um, me and him can come on here and talk about topics and things. And we do that from time to time. But we would rather have some some guests come on and share an experience like this that strikes a chord with, with people. Um, and I think that's important and to DJ. But what he said is um, about this is um, I think it's uh, I think we're on a good course, buddy. I think this is just, we have to be patient. You can't get too high or too down over it. You just keep, keep pushing on. And uh, we're both committed to that. So we're in a good place. I'm not real worried about it. So Jay, Let's talk one more thing about you. Okay. And it's it's probably my favorite thing about you. Let's talk about your YouTube channel because oh, yeah. you don't mention it a lot, but it's pretty great. <laughs> I, I like watching that stuff. It's pretty great. And I aspire to one day be on that show with you to talk about some of the things that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. You should totally come on the show with us. That'd be awesome. So uh, let's let's talk about that. Tell people where they can find you on YouTube and sure. and the different things that you talk about. Yeah, so I, we have uh, two YouTube channels and we have a podcast. And so the we have one YouTube channel called The Story Geeks. You can go to youtube.com slash The Story Geeks, The Story Geeks. That is all about us talking about geeking out about the stories that we love, why we love them. Um, a friend of mine came up with a really big fancy word for it. He called it cultural exegesis, where we look at what 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 are the stories that we love telling us is true about the world that we experience. And we just talk in depth about all that stuff. YouTube.com slash the story geeks, or you can go look at the story geeks podcast, which is actually separate content. Um, and that's just any podcast provider that you that you like. Just go on there and search for the story geeks and we'll show up there, too. And then the other YouTube channel that I have is actually a YouTube channel that I am personally dedicating more and more time to, because as you guys are talking about this, you're talking about, should we go full-time? When should we go full-time? How are we going to get to full-time? And one of the things that I recognized was that doing the things that I was doing were, was not going to allow me to be sustainable enough to do it full-time. So I, so I actually said, well, what's something that's unique about me that I could teach people and that's my other YouTube channel. So uh, youtube.com slash The Reclamation Society, The Reclamation Society, which is the name of mm -hmm. our nonprofit. That's where I go on and, and teach you the process of how to write and produce your own stories, whether it be books or or, or films, um, all, all from an independent perspective, all from a, from a small, you're just starting out. You don't know what to do next. That channel is where I, I cover all I of that. I think that's an amazing concept, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really it's really rewarding to do. I literally just started doing it about a month ago. I already have a certain number of videos out there trying to accomplish that. And um, it's my way of being able to give back to people, too, with what I have learned that they might not know. So um, and I certainly don't know it all, but I've tried a lot of things and learned what not to do. And so I can try and help you through the, some of those kind of things as well. So, you know, that's the thing to me is uh, I genuinely, you know, we learn more from our failures or our uh, not our successes. I, I mean, I learn more from my failures and what I don't want to do 
yeah. more than what I want to do. Oh, totally. And there's value in that. And, and you know, some people may fall in their face and oh, they're going to give up. But man, honestly, I learned so much more from my my stupid stuff or or just ignorance or inexperience that yeah. uh, helps me in the future. I mean, tech, especially my business and in the work I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've uh, you lost some deals, and I figured like, you know what? I'm not doing that again. I'm going to yeah. do that completely different. Exactly. So there's no doubt that that your failures or your faults or your uh, unsuccessful uh, stories or situations uh, really um, are what molds you. Yeah, you're, you're going to get those successes and that good stuff, and that's going to give you a good vibe. Right. But you get there by not getting there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree. So, Jay, this is your part of the story. Uh, we have gone on for almost two and a half hours. I'm I'm very happy about that. Uh, plug everything that you're doing right now. Yeah, so you heard about the two YouTube channels and you heard about the podcast. So definitely go check those out if any of that interests you. Um, if you are a geek uh, like Dustin and I are, then this, the podcast <laughs> and the YouTube channel are perfect for you. Um, and then if you want to go check out Death of a Bounty Hunter, um, both Death of a Bounty Hunter and Time Slingers are both available uh, on Kindle for only 99 cents right still, now. That's a yeah. still deal. Thank you very much. Yeah, we, we, I, I so much appreciate you guys, first of all, bringing me on the show, but, but um, just getting to engage with you and share this experience and, and getting your feedback has been phenomenal. Um, easiest way to get to Death of a Bounty Hunter, you can just search Death, Death of a Bounty Hunter and you'll find it on, on Amazon. But you can also go to deathofabountyhunter.com and sign up for our, for our uh, email there because we will email you when the full cast audiobook is available as well. Nice. So um, that's a good place to check it out. Just deathofabountyhunter.com. Um, subscribe with your email and then when that comes out, we'll let you know. Uh, and that's, and that's, you know, that's really all the stuff that we're working on. I do have some, uh, some Udemy courses, which is just an online learning platform that I'm putting together that like, go take what I'm doing on the YouTube channel and just like double down on that and provide more resources. I did see that. I looked that up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing, I'm doing a couple of those things as well. Still building that out again. This is just me learning over time. Like how, how, how to, how to change this and do this and change that and do this. And, and, and so I'm constantly doing that, but those are kind of, the full picture of, of what we're up to over here. Jeff, what do you want to promote? I want to promote Jay and all he's doing. Uh, I'm actually uh, very motivated by having you on. Awesome. Um, it uh, felt very personal and there's a definite connection there. And I hope a lot of the people out there um, feel the same way. I want to promote DJ and his brilliance. He's a sexy hot guy. Wow. <laughs> he, he is a awesome geek nerd of movies, and I actually kind of want to be more like him. <laughs> a little I, bit. I do too. Well, thank you very much. Uh, is that all, Jeff? That's it, man. Okay. So, guys, thanks for joining us this Friday. We weren't here last week. We were super excited to have this go check out uh, Time Slingers, go check out Death of a Bounty Hunter. And even if you don't want to spend money right now, if you don't trust this guy yet, 
at least go to YouTube and check out <laughs> his Star Wars fan film. Mm. Jay, you didn't talk about that a lot, so go ahead and promote that real quick. Yeah, if you if you head over to the um, the 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 channel where I teach people how to make books and 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 films, that's the channel where we're posting our original content as well. And Star Wars Rivals is that original content, and you can go over to YouTube.com/slash the Reclamation Society, and that's our. Uh, it's not a PSA that's anti-bullying, but it's definitely an anti-bullying film that I think that you'll want to check out over there. So, guys, look. You can go to podcasting anywhere you get your podcast and you can go to YouTube and you can go to Amazon and really support this guy. He supports small companies. He supports small people that are just trying to get out there in front of the people. Time Slingers is the book. Death of a Bounty Hunter is the book. It's going to be a full audio uh, I guess you would say a cast podcast. It's going to be almost like an old time radio show that's going to be coming out. He's all over the place. Check out his YouTube. Uh, I think that's going to be it for it's, us it's tonight. A dollar investment on Kindle. Yeah, it's a dollar, guys. That's, you're you're getting a, a, a twenty times better deal than you should normally get. If you enjoy history, if you enjoy science fiction, if you like Back to the Future, if you like time travel, this guy covers so many different things. Go check him out on Amazon. Buy the book. Buy it on Kindle. I'm telling you, I bought it, the book, and I bought the audio version so that I could not only read it, but listen to it when I'm driving, too. It worked out great because they follow each other, so where the audio book stops, you're your regular book picks up and where your regular book stops, the audio book picks up. It's great. Jay, thank you so much for being on the show. Jeff, oh, thank you. Guys. Thanks for being here as always guys. That's going to be it for this week. We really appreciate you sticking with us until midnight. That's Jeff. That's Jay. I'm DJ. This is the dad's a drink. We're going to catch you on the next one. See you later guys. Bye.